Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. That's right, it's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I am so excited. I mean, bonus episodes are always exciting. It goes without saying that we're excited to make any of these, but this is one of the rare bonuses where we're like making it shortly after the game has come out, and it's like kind of the peak of the hype. Yes. And and for us too, like not even just like, oh, dude, SEO. Like it's actually like something we are very excited about. Yeah. It has been one month, as in 30 days since Elden Ring came out, the day yeah. that we're recording this. And I, I do want to make it clear that any, any piece of content made about Elden Ring within one month of release is not a complete Elden Ring thing. There's no way that what we we're going to sit here and talk for I imagine a long time. And I don't think we will even come close to covering all of what Elden Ring has to offer. You and I definitely have not seen everything no. that Elden Ring has to offer. People will be picking at this game for actual decades probably and finding new stuff forever. Totally. Uh but you and I have both finished the game and are playing New Game Plus, which probably means uh we have between the two of us seen a lot of the video game yeah we can speak to i would say the bulk of the critical plot and just a heads up this will be a spoiler free section here and then we're just going to talk about our overall thoughts on the game and then we'll get to spoilers and then questions later which i'm very excited about we got so many good questions thank you uh if you sent one in thank you so much yeah i i think it's it's even hard to say like what even the critical path is in this game because it is so open in all ways. I mean, I think like yeah. what people are even what people are even finding out is critical and what is actually optional is kind <laughs> of like shocking every time it happens. Yeah. One one aspect of the game that's being discovered is right now we know there are six known endings. And I I would bet anything there are more. Like I just yes. I feel it in my bones. I feel like this game is so there are so many seeds planted and so many things that like give you a, a hunch and the hunch is always rewarded. That's like my elevator pitch for this game. It's like whenever you have lingering curiosity, you see something that you're like, can I get there? Wait, should I go back here? It's all like that feeling, however small, is always rewarded. And I imagine that for bigger or smaller, that will be like the rhythm of discovery in this game for a very long time forever yeah yeah, much. Forever. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, i think back to there was like an article about final fantasy 9 like from five years ago where there was apparently a side quest that was like just totally unknown up until that point wow so it's like if final fantasy 9 has a secret quest in it like this there's no limit <laughs> to what's in here yeah um did want to say up front we have a bunch of episodes about elden ring already yeah. uh the week it came out we did one with our friend Chris Plant from Polygon and the Besties. That whole that episode is entirely about Elden Ring, entirely about our experience with Elden Ring. We then did a couple check ins and a couple episodes. Most of that, if not all of that, is like pretty much spoiler free unless we say otherwise in that episode. But we have done a lot of Elden Ring conversing already. That having been said, if this is like your first episode of Into the Aether at all, 
I didn't want to leave you with nothing. I think we wanted to like have something for you <laughs> right. here and not yeah, just be yeah. like, fucking scram, get out of here. Yeah, we leave a note for you like, therefore, go away. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I think you and I are coming at this from the place of like, we both finished the game and we're in New Game Plus now. And I just wanted to check in with you in a spoiler free sense. Just like, how are you feeling about this game overall? What do you think about your experience jumping into New Game Plus? Are you seeing new stuff already? Like, what what's your vibe yeah. about Elden Ring? Like overall, before we get like deep into spoilers and start talking about like who's Jellicle or whatever people ask us. <laughs> yes, thank you for setting that up. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think something you said just moments ago about how this game, nothing out right now, is like one hundred percent about the game like not everything has physically been seen or experienced yeah. or unearthed or like close read you know because <laughs> yeah. even if you see it like you don't know what the fuck it happened like you gotta sit on it or, or examine it for for weeks right uh reflecting your thoughts um i i think the same in doing this show for as long as we have i also have come to think about even our own opinions on games as ever-changing, ever-flowing things. As much as we try to concretely state, like, this is how I feel about X, like, our relationship with media overall, everyone's relationship with media is an ever-changing, ever-growing thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that, like, even though it's been out long enough that I feel more confident in what I'm about to say, it's an ever-flowing thing, which I think is beautiful. I think it's cool to have episodes like this where we're, like, just a month after release and examining it and then stuff like our Skyrim bonus where we're talking about a game from like 10 years ago and yeah. seeing like how do we still feel because Skyrim was a game when that came out I feel like I had similar hype right yeah um all that to say I am pretty confident in saying this is one of the best games I've played in my entire life yeah. like truly yeah. I think it's I was expecting to like it and and weirdly enough I feel like in the hype leading up to it I was kind of apathetic like all the teaser trailers like I kind of avoided almost all of that because mm. I, I was confident that I, I would like it because I have liked from soft stuff in the past um, my like we've talked a lot about our history with those games um, but I would say overall like the spark notes of that is Bloodborne was really the first game that I got the like oh I get it moment that everyone has their own version of when playing from soft stuff there's yeah. like initially apathy or hatred and then there's the oh I get it moment and I had that with Bloodborne and then I continued to enjoy their stuff I mean we both really loved Sekiro when that came out yeah um but there was always kind of a caveat there was always like I need to be in the right headspace for this or the right mood for this like it's asking a lot of me mm. uh, even though I enjoy it um, and it was always hard. I never wanted to like push it on other people because like the the asterisk was kind of larger than what they would potentially enjoy about it. Totally. Which was always kind of a bittersweet thing. Yeah. Elden Ring, I think, is the first game I played by this team that feels like the asterisk is no longer as much in the equation. Because right. I think that like the design of the game being open worlds and really actually benefiting from being open worlds uh it the the known difficulty of the game and the walls that are there are more part of the loop than they are obstacles to overcome like mm -hmm. i think something we said a lot with with chris in, in our first episode about elden ring is that just the ability to reach a boss and then be like i'm kind of stuck on this boss i'm not really enjoying fighting this boss anymore i'm just gonna go and explore somewhere i haven't been just that ability 
is so helpful and weirdly is kind of the loop of the game. Like the game knows you're not going to steamroll the bosses yeah. <laughs> very much. Uh, so really what <laughs> happens is that what's at the forefront of the experience is discovery. As much as there are bosses that will test your patience and, you know, drive you into these long nights where you're just determined to beat them. And then you have that classic euphoria when you do, um, I think that what I think of most of Elden Ring is is the discovery. It's the finding a new location and being absolutely like in awe of the world and just of the. Another thing we said a lot in that episode was was how it feels like a true work of fantasy in the sense that it feels fantastic. It feels new and unknown and weird, and it's it has that perfect mix that I think other FromSoft games have where it's equally grotesque as it is beautiful and inspiring. Mm -hmm. And that alchemy is really wonderful. So in short, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, there, there are definitely things to point out about it, um, namely the lack of accessibility options. And I think we had some questions about that. I'm sure that will come up as we talk about it. Yeah. But overall, I am like in awe of it. And I think it's it's something that I will think about for a very long time. I think it will stay with me and I think it will become unfortunately an unfair point of comparison from now on <laughs> this is definitely something i wanted to talk yeah. about a little bit more but i i think it's worth I, I i'm glad you went over that because i think it's worth highlighting before we get like too deep into this that the place that you and i are coming from in this conversation is that you and i are very squarely in like the target audience for what elden ring was always going to be even if they added you know difficulty options and accessibility options and xyz thing we would still be in that target demographic, but even without all of that, we are the people that, you know, would always go pick up a FromSoft game. It doesn't really matter what it is. We're going to check it out and play it. Yeah. So like we were primed to like Elden Ring regardless. It feels like there was no way this game was going to be bad. I think the question was like, will it be great and how great in a yeah. way? Um, right. And uh, the answer is, if you're a person who likes FromSoft stuff already before this game has come out, you're going to walk away from it thinking it's probably the best one, I imagine. Uh, and what I found most interesting is talking to people who have never played FromSoft games before or have never even approached games that are this difficult before uh, who are walking away saying, like, this is you know second to none. This is one of the best games ever. Yeah. Um, and it really, I mean, it really... It really is. It's. I, I think. I think you're right to say that this is going to be an unfair point of comparison. I. The thing about this podcast is, as we always say, we only bring games to the show when we like them, and I think that it'll be interesting to talk about open world games going forward after this game comes out because it. It's gonna rub me the wrong way more than it ever has i think because of elden ring because elden ring exists at all when a game like ghostwire tokyo for example comes out and it's just like you know a map littered with icons it's like i just i just don't i just don't think that that's the experience that i want anymore like i yeah. i think that that game looks beautiful i have nothing against it i haven't played it myself but like you know i saw some reviews and that's the vibe of the game and after you play something like Breath of the Wild and then sit there and wait for the next game like Breath of the Wild to come out and then it's Elden Ring, it's like, how do you go back when those two games already exist? You know, how do you go back to like an older style of gameplay that's not specific, to be clear, that's not specifically like a throwback, you know? Like, I, I yeah. imagine... I'm waiting for like a decade from now when all games are Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild 
<laughs> when like some indie developer makes like a Grand Theft Auto like open world game that has and it's retro, uh, yeah, yeah, icons all over the map, and we're all like, man, what a cool throwback this is. <laughs> um, but right yeah, now, I from where I sit, I it's this is a game that I, I think has pushed me over the edge in a way, um, in terms of the way I'm going to consider open world design from now on. Um, yeah, because it's 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 achieving what it's achieving at such a high level at all times. Um, and I think it's also worth noting one of the most interesting things about this game, you know, as you're saying, you can run up against a wall with a boss and then, you know, go out and explore some stuff that you haven't seen before and then come back and continue on. But the world isn't truly open. And that's, I think one of the coolest and most interesting things about the design of it is like, yes, it is technically an open world, but there are a lot of gates all over the place. And those gates are as important as the bits that aren't gated. Like there are bits that are locked until you're pretty much done with the game. There's a whole area that you can't enter unless you've beaten two of the major bosses, uh, three of which are available when you start the game. And it's like kind of up to you, which ones you're going to beat. There's a lot of choice in the game, which makes it feel like the like the opportunities are endless in a way for how you can go about uh, experiencing it and, and where your player agency will take you on your quest. Um, but there is kind of like a very, as you were saying, like a very, very like sitting in the shadows critical path like there is a hand that's guiding you along towards an ending towards an ending um and i think that that's as important as the open bits in a way uh, and that's that's the thing that like the more i'm playing especially in new game plus right now like trying to poke up against some of the edges and like seeing what i can get away with um that's been really cool it's like now that i know how the game is gonna be played by most people how do i break it in a way like how how do i push myself up against a thing that like maybe fromsoft hasn't thought of and the answer to be clear is that fromsoft has thought of it they've (laughs) they've always thought of it but i get that moment where i get that satisfaction of like let me try this cool thing and then i get rewarded for like an entirely new experience based on this idea that i had as you were saying if there's a hunch it's gonna pay off somehow yeah i i think the i think you're right to point out the sort of like soft gates if you want to call them that like because mm-hmm. they don't feel like that you know it's not like you can't enter here until you have three rubies it, i mean it, <laughs> it kind of is that but it, it doesn't feel like that it, does, it doesn't telegraph it doesn't telegraph it like in quite that way that it would in like a, a nintendo 64 game exactly like it, yeah. it feels in the moments when you bump up against the inability to go to a place it will always be met with like a story reason or like a cool piece of lore alongside it that's like oh yeah you know you have to have this specific medallion to ride this elevator and then that's like 45 hours of gameplay yeah. to get both halves of the i was medallion. gonna say it reminds me of like like in breath of the wild you have the great plateau as the beginning tutorial but it doesn't feel like that yeah then you're given the hand glider and then it's the open world right i thought like this game has three big great plateaus where it's like you feel <laughs> like okay i'm in the world i like the game kind of lulls you into thinking based just on the point of view of the map you're given. Like, you're like oh, okay, the whole game is going to be this like one place. And then it constantly gets larger and larger mm-hmm. and it never stops being exciting. And that's, I think another element of this game that I think is sort of transcending audience, I guess, you know, we said before that like we were going to like this no matter what, basically, but like you, I am shocked and happy to see 
a lot of people who have like written off from soft games really enjoy this one. And this, <laughs> I have a couple friends who like don't really play games at all, and they are playing this, which is awesome. actually terrifying to me. But I love it because I think it's it feels like entering a place. And again, the the difficulty in the case of Elden Ring specifically um, is an element of the world, and it's something that can be navigated around in a multi in a multitude of ways. Uh, it's not like Again, I love Sekiro, but I think we compare the two a lot because in Sekiro, there is a linear point A to point B story happening that's gated by incredibly difficult bosses. Right. So all you really are given to do in that game is get your ass kicked (laughs) until you can see a (laughs) little bit more, which like that's selling it short. The boss fights in that game are are second to none like in games. Like when Sekiro is good, it is thrilling. But I think that like it's a very specific experience. That is that is much more of a niche thing, whereas I think this is clearly a mainstream hit in a way that I don't think anyone anticipated. And I think that's a big part of this is that, well, I'm sure there was like a lot of confidence and you can feel the confidence in this work. Mm-hmm. I would be surprised to hear that like anyone involved was expecting it to blow up on this level. Yeah. You know, because I think that this is the level that a lot of big companies want their AAA open world game to hit. And they think by having a little bit of everything, they'll reach that. Right. And ironically, what takes off is just like a very clear and confident vision for a game that is open world and benefits because of it. You said also like, oh, when when uh, games are all like Elden Ring, I think I would wait. And who knows? This is just like a fun guess. I have no idea. Yeah. But uh, I would wager that in a post Elden Ring world, we're going to see less open world games in the AAA space. I think we're going to see more kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy stuff where it's like a linear, fun, flashy experience. And that's kind of what I want to see in that space is like, give me a 10 hour beautiful game about one idea, you mm-hmm. know, give mm-hmm. me a blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think forcing the open world model and everything simply because you can has has damaged and brought more games down than it's uplifted Mm, mm. so i I hope what this what this game teaches is like when and where to use the open world format and not defaulting to it if that makes any sense that's an extremely good point i don't i don't even know how much more i can say that we haven't already said about (laughs) about elden ring outside of just like it's fucking great i highly recommend picking it up I think there's some interesting stuff going on here story and lore wise that like I was able to pick up while playing and I'm very excited for like the Vati video video to eventually drop on YouTube. That's like, here's the story (laughs) where I'm going to explain it to you in like a cool sultry voice with great editing. And like, that's going to be cool. This, this is going to sound so hyperbolic, but I actually really do mean this. It feels like the promise of video games made real. And I know that that's like a very big and silly thing to say, but I think all the way back to like the first text adventures, you know, that are yeah. like inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and trying to bring that to the computer that are like, you know, fantasy heavy, choose your own adventure, make your way through this dungeon, et cetera, et cetera. And like just a lot of text to describe how cool the fantasy world that you're exploring is like this game is doing what that game thought it was doing way, way, way back. In I totally like agree. Yeah. The seventies and eighties, you know, like th- this, this is like, this to me feels like the promise of what everyone always wanted a video game to eventually become. Honestly, like there's a piece of it that I, I think gets kind of laughed at, but 
in in a way which i think is maybe a little bit unfair you know just like the george rr R. martin side of this i think mm. is actually really important like everybody like loves to like goof on it it's like just because he hasn't finished that book which i don't read game of thrones so like i i've i don't feel any particular way about george rr R. martin to be yeah, clear I but i think i think the the big shift in this in this game versus the other FromSoft stuff that really works for me is like i understand and we we've since learned that, that like this is actually what he added to the story but i understand the relationships between the characters in ways that i never have before yeah. with FromSoft stuff like Sekiro makes it pretty clear who all these yeah. people are and why they're yes. you know in relation to one another but games like Bloodborne and the Dark Souls games and Demon Souls are like much more opaque about that kind of about that kind of stuff and this game feels transparent in a way that is almost a halfway point between those two um and I feel exactly the same way I was gonna say exactly that yeah I, I, I just feel like the big thing is like Dark Souls and Bloodborne and, and honestly Sekiro too are all so interested in the idea of death and rebirth and specifically like the, the folly of uh, trying to achieve immortality and the different ways in which people do that and fail at doing that, et cetera, et cetera. Elden Ring like definitely deals with that. Don't get me wrong because it's a FromSoft game that's like in the same kind of vein. So like you're getting all that stuff too. So, you know, buckle up. But on top of all of that, there's also like a family drama. It almost feels like reading like Norse mythology in a way. It's like yes, all these brothers definitely. and sisters who fucking hate each other. Yeah. And all have magical powers. They just fuck with each other constantly. Like all that stuff is also on the surface in this game. I don't know. There, I just feel like you're getting like everything you could want out of a fantasy setting in this game. Totally. And I'm I'm worried that the more I talk about this aspect, the closer we'll get to spoilers. I will say before we even before we get into that stuff, it just thinking of the things that I wanted to say in the spoiler free section. Um, if you haven't played this game and you've heard a lot about the difficulty, I think take into account what Steven said earlier, you can go out and you can explore. You can level up that way on it. Like I would not blame a single person for going and finding the places where you can farm experience and level up faster to make the game essentially meet you at where you want to be playing it at you know like you yeah you can craft this experience to be exactly what you want it to be there is obviously an intended difficulty setting here and you can like very easily break that there are different loadouts and different weapons and different builds that you can equip there are places where you can go farm runes to level up faster there's like a lot of ways to kind of bring the difficulty of this game down for yourself and if that's the thing that's preventing you from playing the game then like I highly recommend exploring those options. I know it's a little bit daunting to like go on YouTube and go on Google and like just like search random websites to find that stuff. But it is worth it because the experience you're going to have is like second to none. So I want to get that out of the way. I think the game also like pretty directly encourages you to use whatever tools you have, which I think is cool. Like I I think um, at a certain point, I felt like the game was telling me like, hey, if they're going to play dirty, you're going to play dirty too. like do whatever it takes to win. Yes. We're going to give you like options you didn't think you would ever have Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this world. And that also never stops being exciting, being like, wait a minute, I can equip this this is not a weapon, <laughs> you know, it's like wild stuff that, that makes it exciting. And I think this is very clearly the, I think the only, maybe the only from soft game where I felt the power curve, like, yeah, like I, in a I, very real way. It's in not a like very big way. It's yeah. not like the game is always meeting you at where your level is at. It's like, you exactly. can actually exceed the game at a certain point, Exactly. Um, which I, which I think actually does lead into the second thing that I wanted to say. So like, yeah. there, there's that first bit. If you haven't played it, go look stuff up. The second bit is this franchise just 
generally speaking, is known for having like I wouldn't say like a toxic fan base, but like an annoying fan base. And I'm I I <laughs> I know <laughs> what I'm like bringing upon myself by saying that into a microphone on an MP3 file that you can download onto your iPhone. But <laughs> the fan base is always like peddling this like get good idea like oh how do i beat this boss you know etc etc oh you just have to get good like that's so fucking unhelpful it's so annoying it's gatekeeping people from the thing that you love like just let other people love the thing you love shut the fuck up etc etc (laughs) there are a lot of people already trying to do that with this game saying if you're summoning things if you're using this build if you are using this item on this boss then you're not playing it the intended way you're not playing it the real way you're not a true fucking fan of this Uh, just like don't give a shit about those people at all it's all bullshit the game wouldn't give you the options if they didn't want you to use them this is literally the thing that you and i talk about so much one of the most brilliant things about Sekiro specifically is they give you all these consumables and all these items that are like wildly powerful. And because of the way you've come from playing the Dark Souls trilogy and Bloodborne, you walk into Sekiro thinking, I shouldn't use this stuff. I can't use this stuff. The reason it's there is to be used. And that's exactly the case in Elden Ring. That exact mentality, like when they give you the ability to summon a big jellyfish who has uh, infinite health and can poison the boss, that's there for you to use it. Yeah, exactly. Not using it doesn't make you like cool or good or a better gamer. It just makes you annoying when you tell somebody that because they (laughs) used it, they are less than you are. That sucks for everybody, including you. It makes you look bad too, just to be clear, dear person who says that online. So, I don't even give that oxygen, to be honest. Like, I, I yeah. just want to, I want to say that outright because there totally. are people, like, if you go and look up a tutorial for how to beat a boss, any tutorial for how to beat a boss on YouTube, that's all the comment section is. Yeah. That's what Twitter is like. That's what Tumblr is like. That's what Reddit is like. It's it just, it's, it's everywhere. And uh, just don't listen to it. Like, play yeah. the game on your own terms. Have a great time. Tune those people out. It sucks. Uh, and But honestly, I think they're, like just like we're hearing the echo of them down the cave but at the mouth of the cave is like literally 55 million people who love this game uh, and are shouting about how cool it is that they love their jellyfish the jellyfish is great like, why would they put that in there and they're like there was so much excitement for that jellyfish across yeah. the board and they're like yes. if someone uses this they're not a real gamer said the team that made the jellyfish <laughs> Yeah, very bizarre. Uh, so th- those are those are my two big things that I, I just yeah. wanted to say before we get into I wanted into to the touch spoilers. on something you brought up sure. ju- just for a second when you said like this is sort of the promise of games, which I don't I, I know it might sound hyperbolic, but I agree. I think that this is like the crystallization of a lot of um games that have only implied this type of experience. Mm-hmm. Um and it reminds me I mean there's so much to connect to D&D here as well. Yeah. But I think like what I what I keep thinking in my head is like when you ask a DM like can I try this and they go you can. Like it's not in, <laughs> it's not like a, you can climb this mountain you see in the distance. It's like you can try. Yeah, I mean go for it. We'll yeah. see what happens, you know? <laughs> like you can try to take on the dragon that is 100 levels stronger than you. And Maybe you'll go back to that dragon one day stronger and defeat it. Maybe you'll like try to find a weird corner and like throw rocks at it. Like the <laughs> the amount of creativity here and the amount of variables that success can find you, I think is another reason why this is so popular. Cause it's not like, and again, that's kind of why I, I find the comments disappointing. It's like, Oh, you have to play melee or you have to be level one the whole game to say you beat it. Like, you know, the <laughs> like, 
like if you want to give yourself a challenge, that's fine. But yeah. I think like the game, the beauty of Elden Ring specifically is the fact that there are so many options and the yes. open world is there to aid the discovery of those options and tools. Absolutely. So like you would be discounting at least 75% of the game if you were to say <laughs> just use a, the club you get as the wretch and that's yes. how you beat the game. That is that um, is the true irony of that argument in general is like when you say don't use the jellyfish or else you're not a true gamer that actually means that you miss the point of elton Ring. <laughs> you're no elden lord yeah uh it's very silly um yeah anyway look this game is beautiful it's pulling from uh fantasy and video games and tabletop experiences and uh will make all your dreams come true and uh will pay off your home loan and your student loans um and you should pick it up i think it's it great. will give you bad dreams though i will say that i've had it will give you bad, bad dreams. dreams yes yeah. i i don't know how much of that is due to the fact that you and i i, I wouldn't say that we like <laughs> i wouldn't say that we like crunch to finish this game but you and i played a the whole game in a pretty short period of time. Yes. Um, mainly because we love it. Uh, yeah. And I think in so doing, like really fucked myself up. It didn't help that I was also, <laughs> I'm reading Berserk for the first time, which like nice. is a big inspiration for a lot of the FromSoft stuff, uh, the Miyazaki stuff in particular. And uh, those two in conjunction really fucked me up. I would like play Elden Ring for 10 hours straight and then read Berserk and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I, I'm... I am having a dream about the actual devil that is disturbing. <laughs> yeah, I was watching Succession and playing Elden Ring at the same time. And lately, like my only media consumption now is just like looking at flowers to just sort of balance it all out. Elden Ring is available for the PlayStation and the Xbox and the PC. Uh, and uh, I, I would recommend checking it out. Do you want to take a quick break uh, and then start getting into just like overall our experience with the whole ass game yeah talk about the story as much as we can yeah that sounds wonderful let's do it all right cool and if you're leaving us now thank you so much for listening uh we'll see you soon yeah beat the game and come back (laughs) yeah rise baby goodbye see you soon and we are back this is your last heads up for spoiler territory. We're going to talk about the whole experience we've had. I don't know how much we're going to like talk through the story in a linear fashion, but mm-hmm. it will all be spoilers from here on out. So just a heads up, I guess, just to help frame the conversation about our overall experience. I'm just going to say like what I did to sort <laughs> sure. of like yeah. frame because <laughs> like, I feel like again there's like a loose critical path so I'm just going to say like what I did overall honestly um, like it's just so fucking freeing to be able yes, to just speak yes. completely openly about it. I lit- I have not been able to do it with actually anybody at all yeah. and I beat the game like I don't even know two three weeks ago at this point like I've just been holding all of this in and it's, it's exhilarating that we even get to have this conversation I know I feel like I'm like so excited I don't know where to begin yeah yeah but anyway <laughs> I would say the game begins in almost like a, (laughs) my first thought was Mega Man X, which isn't exactly accurate, but I like the idea of this like (laughs) broadcast of bad guys you have to take out. So essentially I have defeated all five lords. So I beat all the lords Mm -hmm. and then I went on and I think, I think at that point, like once you beat Morgoth, the bosses that follow Morgoth are pretty much mandatory. So like the fire giant, Mm -hmm. Malaketh. Yeah. Um, Radigan and the Elden Beast. Yeah, I think there's an ending that doesn't require that stuff, but 
that it's like so down a different path. Right. Yes, you're right. Exactly. Um, so I did all that. Um, I haven't beaten all the demigods, but I did do all of Ronnie's quest line, which is, I think, like the only side quest that I've completed that felt on par with the main quest in terms of like importance and mm-hmm. magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done a few side quests here and there for other characters. Um, yeah. So I don't have the exact list, but I, we have a lot of questions about NPCs. So I'll get to that when we talk about them. <laughs> but the overall, that's what I did. So I think I, I would say like, I did a pretty decent amount of exploring in Limgrave and Lernia. Um, once I got to Landell, A, because we had this episode planned, I started to like stick a little bit to the critical path. But mm. also I just found the story compelling enough at that point that I kind of just wanted to see it through. Like I did That was kind of where I was at too by the time I yeah. hit uh, Lindell. Lindell is like the royal capital that's built around the Erd tree, which is the big glowing thing exactly know, yeah. we're in spoilers people know what we're talking about at this point yeah, yeah. It's built around the <laughs> um which is a stunning location i think landell is one of my favorite places yeah um, literally like gasped out loud that first moment when you ride the elevator up a- after you beat the uh draconian tree sentinel fuck that guy forever <laughs> but and then and then you get past him and you get to ride that elevator up and it and it uh, unveils the city in front of you with the earth tree it's just like stunning with the big dragon crashed yeah. in the middle of the city holy shit it's so cool it reminds yeah. me of the um the city and dark souls a little bit and that's actually one thing i would say about Elden ring 2 like comparing to past from soft games there's a lot of like familiar imagery but this feels like truly high fantasy in a way that i think is also helping sell it to more people because i think that the mm-hmm. other games are like they're they're obviously high fantasy but they're so gray and everything is so been dead for thousands of years that it's actually like it's pretty nice to explore a place that's like green and alive and has some life to it yeah yeah i think going back to saying that this is like a middle ground between sekiro's direct narrative and the sort of atmospheric narrative of bloodborne i think that you get a better sense of a world worth fighting for in elden Mm -hmm. ring like so many of the characters you know in terms of the plot like you, you can get really do a deep dive on the history and you know like you said the sort of like greek god sibling rivalry and everything yeah but really it to me it boils down to like the world is kind of on pause and there are like eight different characters who have an idea of what should come next and really the story is like whose idea do you think is best and then you'll see what happened also worth Mm. noting i got the age of stars ending which is tied to ronnie so yes i think we got the same ending we did. Um, we did get the same ending. Yeah. So that that's what I did overall. I would say like I, I my main goal with New Game Plus is to explore way more. I didn't get to the one area like in the far north where I think uh, Melania is. Mm. Um, I haven't seen that place. So wow. there's a lot even outside of that. I, I don't think I explored the like northern wintry area as much as I probably should have. Mm. Um, I think I found a cave where the boss was two Godskin nobles, and I was like, oh, "I'm good." I, I I marked a skull on the map, and I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> I I found a cave that had two Crucible Knights in it. I did the exact same thing. I was like, yeah, oh, like nah. yeah, but my actual thought was, whatever the reward here is, it's not enough, and then I just turned around <laughs> and go back. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that that's like the that's the overview of of how I played this game, basically. Yeah. 
I, kind of similar thing. I, I think I spent a lot of time wandering um, because my my experience is pretty much uh, the first Lord, the same one everybody beats, uh, followed by the second one at the school. And then from there, just like wandered for like 30 to 40 hours and then made my way into Lindell and started doing all that stuff and kind of like you booked it more towards the end. Um, but when I realized I was coming up like on the ending ending, there's there's a point when you get teleported to like a floating city that like has dragons all over it. And there's like tornadoes and <laughs> thunder and lightning and stuff. As soon as I hit that, I was like, I'm definitely pretty close to the end. And that was the point where I kind of doubled back and did like a real sweep of stuff. Like I was yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to knock out side quests. I'm going to explore all the pieces of the map I haven't seen yet. Um, and even with that, there's still so much stuff that I haven't seen. Um, there, there's an entire like really main quest that leads to an ending that I haven't seen any of. I only know that it exists because I talked to somebody else who did it. There is an entire underground sewer system beneath Lindell that leads to another ending uh, that I definitely didn't explore enough. I did go down there briefly because there was a smithing stone I needed down there. And then I was <laughs> like, this place sucks. And I never went back. Um, but there's there are huge swaths of this game that I still haven't seen that I'm very excited to see next time. And there are a bunch of threads that have left to be uh, pulled on, essentially, that I, I have written down in my notes. I took like extensive notes while I was playing this game that I'm very excited to like go back and see if I can figure out how to do it. Because some of the stuff in this game is so opaque. I mean, there's some stuff in this game that like I don't know there's one bit in the ronnie quest line in particular that are like i can't believe i stumbled into by accident i can't <laughs> i can't one? uh the part where you have to get into the coffin and go over the waterfall <laughs> i also found that by accident i was amazed i maybe, was i, I thought i was just going well designed, off actually path. yeah maybe because uh, you're you're going up and there's all the like shrimp people uh yeah. <laughs> and my first instinct was like fuck that and then went to the left and that's where the that's where the coffin was um that's funny okay well Anyway, like that stuff, I just like can't believe I found by myself. But there are there are big, big, big chunks of this game that I I think I saw that might not like maybe not everyone will see. Um, I tried to point you in the direction of a couple of them. Like, for example, did you fight uh, Moog, the Lord of Blood? I did not. I know of them, but I did not fight them. So that by itself, like completely wild quest line, which some people. Yes. Gotcha, gotcha. That's that's how his thing ends. Um, but some people also hypothesize that that might lead to another ending, and like mm. by killing him, you actually prevent yourself from seeing that ending, oh, uh, which okay. is very interesting. Um, I found out recently from a mutual friend of ours that there's a second Moog just in a cave somewhere as well that you can fight, um, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Which then uh, led me to co- connect a bunch of dots. But uh, point being. Um, I, I beat a lot of bosses, like way more than five, I think like maybe 10 to 12 oh, by wow. the time I was done with the game. Um, and that's pretty wild because, <laughs> yeah. uh, when, when you start the game, there's a cutscene that plays and it tells you about a bunch of like important people in the world. That's how you learn about, uh, what's his name? Sir Offnir, the all knowing who like runs the round table. It's how you learn about Fia, the deathbed companion, uh, gold mask, dung eater. 
and stuff. And then you get this whole bit like about the lords and the demigods and their big endless fight and how Ronnie stole the rune of death and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and through all of that, I was like, okay, cool. So all those people in that first cutscene got to take them out. All the demigods, I imagine I'll get them eventually. <laughs> and it turns out like all the first people are like people you just kind of hang out with for the most part. Uh, and it's really just the demigods you have to take down. But at that point I was like, oh wow, that cuts down the amount of enemies I thought I had to take down like pretty much in half. Not, of course, realizing that there was going to be tons and tons and tons and tons of secret shit all over the place, um, which feels like a natural extension of how you would make an open world from soft souls inspired game like that. Totally. Like, of, of, of course, there would be, you know, like when you start the game and you come out of like the tutorial area and you ride the elevator up and Vare is like, you have no maiden. Ha ha ha. And then you see the site of grace in front of you, the church, which has, you know, uh, the merchant and stuff in it. You see the bot. This is the thing that everybody talks about with this game is like the, the, the brilliance of that first thing that you see when you sit down at that site of grace is like church. Grace is pointing to the castle. There's a boss there that you're specifically supposed to go up against and get your ass kicked. So you can learn that you can't beat everything just like that whole bit uh is 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 really brilliant um but like of course even in that area there's like two caves with optional bosses like within spitting distance of just right there it's it's incredible like i i just i can't even imagine what i haven't seen because some of the stuff i have seen is like hard to describe to people who haven't played this game (laughs) yeah i mean the the joke is always like it sounds like a rumor or it sounds like a made-up thing or it's like if you go left for three hours of real time you'll find a weird cat (laughs) you know um like there's a we'll get to questions later but there was a question or there are a few questions about all the npcs so i like went on the wiki and just looked up like who are all the npcs in this game and like they're like over 30 i think i met like a little over half but mm. like there were some where it's like this weird cat that sells like boiled shrimp I'm like what where was this guy yeah <laughs> i didn't i didn't meet patches which i'm kind of pissed about oh um, really oh my god yeah, i missed patches yeah, you can summon which... patches during the radon fight and he immediately leaves <laughs> <laughs> Like you summon, like you're going through and you're summoning all these people and they all like spawn into the world. It's like they're going to help you fight Radon. And then it's like summons patches. Patches has left the world. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, it's yeah, great. I, I, it was really cool to that, that opening you mentioned playing this game on, on starting new game plus and watching that opening and having like context for who those people were was yeah, so totally. exciting, you know, cause like, the first time you watch it, it just sort of washes over you. Like, it's yeah. exciting cause the narrator is like really into it and you yeah. know, um, the names are cool, but like, that's all that really matters. <laughs> Dung eater. Seeing it again and, and realizing, like, oh, like they're explaining the insight. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe they yelled "dung eater" at me, and I just forgot about him for like yeah, hours. Yeah, and you were just like, oh yeah, dung eater. Okay, but uh, I, I I think it's cool that the that opening really is explaining the inciting event of the world in the state that it's in, but you can't really fill in the blanks until you played it, and I do think like. Going back again to like this sort of middle ground between being opaque and being direct, um, I think it, I think the game overall mostly pays off for being as opaque as it is. Yeah. Um, I think that they're giving you just enough that like you have confidence in the basics. Like you know why you're fighting certain characters. Mm-hmm. That's always kind of been my thing with FromSoft games. Like, why am I fighting? this like tragic character that yeah. like, lost his mind staring at the moon or whatever. Yeah, I, like, I always you know. think about, uh, yeah, Bloodborne when you make your way up to the top of the castle and there's like a baby in a crib and you have to like hit it with a sword. It's like, why am I doing this? And then it turns into yeah. like a big horrifying monster. It's like, okay, 
and then you, you kill them and then it's like a lady who's crying it's like what uh, wait this is what am i doing why am i am i the bad guy like i, yeah, no so I can only here. meet characters by fighting them as bosses it's very strange yeah. And again, it's cool that like there's a the NPCs, I think, have always been like the secret ingredient from soft games. Like It's always like low key, my favorite part of it. And I think the the direct kind of um, both like featuring more NPCs and also having their role in the game really be the backbone of the story. And, you know, I mean, the different endings you get are all tied to different characters, quest lines. Right. um, Which I think is really cool. So it's not as much like a. I feel like usually in this game, there's like a decision to make right at the end. Um, you know, and the decision is like, will you let the world rot or will you burn it? Right. <laughs> Which like, it's not that different here, but there's a little bit, there's a little bit more that goes behind the decision, I think. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, because at, at the point that you're ending the game, you have, inve- you know what that option is and you've invested time in making sure that you get that option. Um, yeah. Unless you're avoiding all the side quests entirely and you just make it to the end of the game generally speaking without like finishing any of that then you just get like the standard ending um in which case you are just kind of like shuttled along to an ending and then you just see it but like for the for example like the ronnie quest line or like the gold mask quest line in in those instances you will have you will know what the consequences of finishing the game that way are going to be like long before you even make it there which i think is cool because you're like working towards it like you you feel yeah you feel accomplished by the time you summon Ronnie into that ending area uh, and she takes the throne. Ronnie not only tells you her backstory, but also her plan. And I'm like, you've told me more than any NPC I've met in a FromSoft game. Yeah. Like, you basically made your own Vati Vidya essay. And I just like got it at the side of grace. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what I just, I, it's probably worth mentioning just like at a high level, what the store, like what yeah. the inciting event is of this. Um, essentially at, at, at some point, uh, there are all of these like cosmic beings that created what's known as the Golden Order, which is the Elden Ring, uh, which is essentially like a big rune that's made up of other runes and all these different pieces of the rune all essentially like keep order in the in space time in the universe. You know, yeah, there's an instrument of what's called the greater will, which yeah. seems to be like an outer god of some kind. Yeah, essentially just making sure that every like time and space flows the way it's supposed to. So, you know, there ostensibly, I guess there would be a rune for like the way rivers flow and there's a rune for the way the wind makes its way across a meadow, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there are all these demigods who essentially are like lording over this Elden Ring. And, and the whole idea is that they are supposed to maintain this order. And of course, they're a fucking mess. You know, as we were just saying, there's like this Greek mythology <laughs> aspect to it where like they're all jealous of each other. They all hate each other. They're like constantly at each other's throats, whatever. But nothing really happens in that in those fights until Ronnie, the witch, shows up and is like, this can't stand. All of these demigods are just like constantly at each other's throats and like making everything worse. What I'm going to do is steal the rune of death, which means that nobody can die ever. Because if all of these demigods are like constantly at war with one another and all these people are dying all the time, then I'm going to prevent them from having a state of like victory. Like none of them can win because nobody can die ever. So she steals the rune of death, which essentially, of course, sets off a war between all of the demigods and and they just fight endlessly forever. And removing the rune of death is what creates the tarnished. And we are playing as a tarnished specifically which are just like the citizens of the lands between who can't die 
And that's kind of like the begin. That's kind of like where the game is at. It's like way, way, way after the rune of death has been stolen. All a lot, like a lot of tarnished have been fighting for so long. They kind of forget why they're fighting. They're kind of like hollowed out. They they've like kind of lost their minds. There are a bunch of tarnished who like still have it together that you will meet as like NPCs and other characters throughout the game. Whose whole vibe is essentially like I've been tarnished for so long. I like don't even understand really what's going on. I just know that I like need to fix the world in some way shape or form and there's other people you know who are just like thieves or wandering around or whatever but that said like that's the state of the world when you start playing and you making your way towards an end towards an ending is like okay how do you think this world should be fixed nobody can die it's worth mentioning again nobody can die (laughs) which is why every time you die you come back but also there are all these demigods. Do you think like, oh, kill all these demigods and that'll that'll help? Do I collect as many pieces of the great rune as possible and put them all together and like make myself the Elden Lord because like I deserve to be the Elden Lord? Do you put the rune of death back and allow people to die finally and just like kind of free everyone from this and kind of set things back to the way they were? There are a lot of different answers that you can have to this. Um and the game kind of allows you to go down all those paths and figure that out for yourself. And yeah, like, I think it's open for interpretation in a way that doesn't feel cheap. Like I yeah. think that they give you enough to like, you can confidently write the rest of the story in your head, but it doesn't spell everything out for you. See, I, so just to clarify with the rune of death stuff, I remembered it as Ronnie had Godwin killed and then Merica shattered the Elden ring mm-hmm. and was so distraught by that death. She like, she took away the rune of death. Oh, or am I misremembering? I, I don't know. I mean, that's again, that gets back to what we were saying at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, there's no way to know matter, for sure. My, my interpret the way that I picked this up was Ronnie was the one who stole the rune of death. I forget why gotcha. I picked that up, but I think there was like a conversation that happened somewhere. Yeah. I mean, either way, Ronnie kicks it off. Yeah. And I think the, the one thing she does too, that's really interesting is she was essentially, and she tells you this later in her quest, but I think it's like a, a interesting thing to follow up the state of the world with is that she was essentially in line to replace Merica. And Merica and Radigan are one being that kind of exists as like a vessel for the two fingers and the greater will. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, essentially, Ronnie was like, I didn't want to be like another instrument of this thing I don't trust. Yeah. So I got rid of my physical body. Like I cast off my mortal shell so i was no longer a candidate and now i'm just a weird ghost that haunts this puppet that may or may not be modeled after the woman who taught me magic right uh and her ronnie's whole point of view is essentially like i don't it's interesting because you meet a lot of characters that don't trust the two fingers and you are kind of as as you play the game you were kind of led to to not fully buy the idea that the two fingers and even the greater will are as benevolent as they seem. Right. You know, it, it seems like it's just sort of whose law do you want to fall under? And Ronnie's whole thing is like there this has been going on long enough. There's more to the world than just this. If I'm in charge, I will essentially shed the mortal coil of all of this and we'll explore what lies beyond. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> there are other characters who were like you don't trust the two fingers, do you? Do you want to join my evil club? Like, like it's, it's like the Volcano Manor people who I love. You go to this place called the Volcano Manor, which is where Rykard is, one of the great lords. And it's this very fancy mansion, but everything is like bright red because the only source of light is lava, which I love. I love that design so much. Yeah. 
and you meet, you meet this like masked woman sitting in a chair with a bodyguard right behind a her. crucible knight like, yeah wanna, yeah do you want to kill other tarnished for fun and money but i think i think it's just cool that there are a lot of different factions that don't trust America or the greater will or the two fingers for so many different reasons mm-hmm. that it's not quite clear. Like there's no, even Ronnie who I think is sort of positioned to be like the good one is still kind of gray. I mean, what she wants is a really big leap of faith. Yes. Essentially it's, it's, it's not nihilistic, but it's, it's sort of like uh, almost agnostic it's it's sick of the world as is and it's wondering if there's something beyond it but it's not uh or ronnie's point of view is not fully aware of what lies beyond but just that quest seems to be worth it that's kind of how i read it at least yeah my my overall takeaway from what she was after specifically was like there's the greater will there's the outer gods you know these like cosmic beings etc etc demigods whatever like i'm just going to get rid of all of that and i'm going to let people rule themselves essentially right Um, is like hand fate and order back to the people who live within the world instead of some greater being that gets to decide everything Um, it's honestly very edelgard but less like i'm going to murder everyone (laughs) yeah Um, um you had you you and i had a similar read we both like in confidence talked about this off the show but you and i had a similar read that um and and i'll be interested to see if like we're totally off base and and if you know more about this i would love like tweet at us or something like i'm i'm personally very curious about this this game to me does feel like a prequel to all of the other miyazaki from soft <laughs> stuff in some way shape or form and Ronnie's ending feels like you're setting up Bloodborne. And I'm not just talking about the fact that, like, there's a big emphasis on the moon, but, like, the way that she speaks about what she wants sounds a lot like she's creating the world of Bloodborne. And I wonder if the other endings are, like, Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, Sekiro, Demon Souls, you know? It, feel, it feels like there's at least homages. And I think a lot of that is because all the games are very interested in similar ideas. Yeah. But I, I do think that there's sort of um all the endings some of them poke at ideas that are more present in other games like i think that the ending i would argue is like absolutely the evil ending feels like dark souls like yeah. the, the sort of precursor to dark souls and this feels like at least it feels like what the characters in bloodborne were striving for but failed like mm. ronnie can actually do it you know this sort of I see it as an ascension of some kind. Yeah. Whereas in Bloodborne, the ascension was followed by becoming a becoming monster. Rom the vacuous yeah. spider. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel I. This is a thing that I'm sure no one will ever prove definitively. To be clear, like no nobody's ever going to be like, oh, I found uh, the the item description for this specific mask that just says, yes, this is Dark Souls three. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. No I one, wouldn't want that. Like I wouldn't, wouldn't want either. it to be that concrete. But yeah. that was my interpretation as well. Like by the time I finished that whole quest line and Ronnie started explaining what she wanted out of out of what becomes her ending, I was like, this sounds so much like Bloodborne. And going and doing some research in preparation for this episode about what some of the other endings are, like they do feel a lot like Dark Souls and Demon Souls and Sekiro. And that I really wonder how much of that is on purpose. And to be clear, like again, they're directed by the same guy, they're by the same studio. There are already connections between the other games that are like loose. Um, for example, there are these things that I I forget what they're called. They're something trees, not Erd trees, to be clear, but there's like um like anchor trees or something like that that show up in dark souls that are then in all the other dark souls games and like get expounded upon in those and they show up in bloodborne in a specific area in the hunter's dream to be 
uh, mm. specific. And they also show up in Sekiro briefly, and they show up in the uh, Co for Riverwell in this game as well. Like there are things that are connecting all these games. There is this kind of like loose thread of like maybe there's some kind of connection between all these worlds um, that has always existed in FromSoft stuff. So yeah. like maybe this is just another extension of that. But it did seem to me that this is like. You know, most of these games generally are like the world is broken and you need to do something about it. This specifically is like the world is broken and you have the power to rewrite it entirely. What do you want the world to be? Yeah. And And they give you a ton of endings to figure that out. And that's why I had this moment at a certain point that was like, oh, it's. I'm creating the other FromSoft games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which uh, one's your favorite? Yeah. Which, um, which adds this little kind of like nihilistic, uh, almost existential nightmare that's like, no matter what I pick, it's all fucking doomed because I've played through those stories before. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, it, it is, there is like a, a shred of optimism about all of this, I think. I think so. I mean, I think Most something that, that you and I have talked about a lot off the show is is this idea that I, I find a lot of the optimism in, in Elden Ring and also in all the FromSoft stuff to be the companionship. Like, mm. I think that the sort of subtext of the game and the use of other people leaving notes and the ability to summon friends to help you or summon NPCs. Like the, this game yeah. has a much higher emphasis narratively and mechanically on summoning. And yeah. I, I love the ability to summon NPCs. I mean, literally Ronnie's ending, you summon her in as if she's like a friend that gave you the password. Like right. it's the same visual, which I love. I love that they didn't separate that. Yeah. It's just blue. You know? Yeah. That's the only difference. Ex- yeah. Right. It's blue. Yeah. Cause she's the snow witch. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that like that, this idea that like the world is a canvas for you to a decide what you want it to be, but also how you occupy it. Um, and, and finding any shred of optimism or kindness in that is so powerful. Like, I think there's a reason why everyone falls in love with Solaire when they meet him or right. Blythe. Like if you meet in such a hostile world, if you meet someone that not only is like cool with you, but also has your back, that is more precious than like anything these games can offer. Yeah. I think this idea that like, you can't do it alone. You need help is is weirdly the most optimistic thing about the game i think it shows like the power of selflessness and kindness Mm -hmm. and also i think it gives joy to the person who's like hey i've been through this before like i know your pain i'm gonna help you out yeah um there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot to be said about that angle alone which is why i've never like i know the pvp is fun but i've never it feels so antithetical to these games to me that i've never wanted to touch it like Mm. And not like I don't I don't think you're like a bad person if you do PvP, <laughs> just to be clear. But I just think like the 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 game is already such a horrible, like hostile place. Yeah. I, I don't know why I would want to jump in and like mess up someone's day, you know? Like <laughs> Well, uh, the nice thing yeah. is like if if you're experiencing PvP in in Elden Ring and in all of these games well, not all of these games, but in Elden Ring specifically, like you have chosen to do so, you know, that's true. There's a narrative reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I just mean like literally like you're not going to experience PVP unless you're saying like, I I want to do a PVP experience. Yeah. 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 I, 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 but in the other games there are like actually like you could just be invaded by other people. There are just areas of the world where like other people just show up and fuck you up. And that I agree. That always feels like a bummer. To be completely clear, like I, I think it's a fun thing to do, and I think it's also like it tends to be the sort of end game for a lot of people. Like I think like once you've done it, like yeah. PvP is a way to keep the community alive. 
um, it seems very fun and it kind of adds almost a like fighting game lens to the yeah. game. But like when I'm going through the story, I can never find a reason for it. That's what I was trying to communicate. Is yeah. like I never find like a reason to do it. Did you um, not Volcano Manor, but did you do any PvP for anyone else? in this game uh no i mean every now and then there's like a scripted event where an npc invades you which always stresses me out it's like right but i mean outside of like npc stuff did you didn't run into an experience where somebody asked you specifically to play pvp outside of the volcano manor no okay there is there is a quest line where somebody is like go kill a bunch of people on the internet and come back to me (laughs) wow amazing uh it's pretty sick I, i actually don't want to say more than that but uh those of you listening you know what i'm talking about that's amazing that's the only to be clear that's the only pvp i did in the game was just like that person asked me to do it and i was like okay and i got my ass kicked a bunch of times and it, i don't know it was rough <laughs> so going back to the story i'm really curious what your read on melina is who is your first like ally i guess she's a mysterious woman that shows up and essentially she's the mortal shell that ronnie cast off you think so? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. She has the eye and everything. Like, I think that's got to be her. Because she's not She's not fully a maiden, too, is the thing, right? She she talks about how she's, like, not fully a maiden. She doesn't quite have a quest. She has, a she has like, a, a vibe that's, like, a little bit similar to Ronnie in a way. Um, yeah. In terms of, like, their end goals. They're, like, going about it in different ways. But that was kind of my read. That As soon as she showed up and she had the eye, I was like, I wonder if she's related to that other person who has the yeah, eye. Yeah, the like eye that. is a clear connection of some kind. Yeah. I really like that theory. The only thing that throws it off is that you can find Ronnie's like, dead body um, in the top of the study in Lernia. You find the great rune of death like on her body, and it's like where she did the ritual. Oh. So I wonder if... Like, if... If Melina is in some way connected, I wonder if like it's less that she's the physical body Ronnie cast off, but more of like like literally like a Kingdom Hearts nobody, you know, where it's like she is the because there's also a connection some people have, have made with her that she might be like you mentioned how there are all these demigods that represent like different parts of life. Mm. Um, some have considered that she might be the demigod of death um, because her whole plan is to burn the air tree down basically right. <laughs> um but not death in like a menacing way but in truly like this needs to end it's overstayed its place um so yeah it's it's hard to know i mean i really liked melina i thought that her presence like always like they i honestly wanted like a little bit more but i think that's a good thing that like they she didn't show up too often like she shows up at certain sites of grace and gives you lore about queen merica and then the 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 plot to burn the air tree down like really took me by surprise yeah <laughs> i was like very shocked that she was like actually i have one more thing to ask you yeah um i love yeah i love when when you get into lindell and she's like i'll see you later and then she shows up i don't know did you summon her for the morgoth fight i don't think i have the ability to but i know you can yeah she just has um, a summon sign outside which it's like oh, cool so, that's kind of that's like if i had uh i mean i'm sure there are others but like my one little beef i have with this game is that the scripted summoning signs look a lot like messages in the world so it's yeah. very easy to miss them uh yeah. which I, I think is a little frustrating because like that one that one in particular too is like you have the doorway that leads to the fight or the the arena where you fight Morgoth, and her summoning sign is like up like three quarters of the way up the stairs and tucked angular 
like a little bit in the corner so it's like hard to see i actually like i literally was standing there and i was deciding if i was going to summon somebody else into my game or not to do that fight suddenly a summoning sign showed up and i was like i haven't even used the item yet I, what is yeah. this and then it was like do you want to summon melina i was like absolutely i do you kidding me yeah <laughs> that reminds me of the message in star wars battlefront 2 where like randomly like do you want to play as yoda it's like yeah, yeah sure <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Yeah, I, I thought that. Um, so one, if you don't mind me sharing, because there's one Please. really wild ending that I would consider the bad one that heavily involves Melina and might shed a little bit of light on who she might be. Oh, yeah. Um, Tell me. So Leave essentially, tale. <laughs> when you beat Morgat, who the, the other thing, too, is, you know, in terms of what, what is Ronnie and Melina's connection, the game has a lot of like duality. There's, you know, the two fingers. There are characters that kind of have similar names. Some characters literally show up twice. Mm-hmm. There's the whole Margit and Morgat thing happening. I have a feeling that Margit is Morgat, like, kind of checking you out, like, sizing you up as a threat. Like, yes. he's in disguise but doesn't reveal his true identity. That's, uh, even I think though that's absolutely the, the case. Yeah. Because um, Ronnie actually does a similar thing. When you first meet her, she says her name is Rena, and Rena is, like, her old mentor. That right. has one of the rises. But anyway, back to the, the wild ending that I teased. So once you beat Morgoth, Melon is like, hey, we should burn the air tree down. Because <laughs> this is actually another moment. It's so hard to contain my excitement. But uh, <laughs> after you beat Morgoth, which I feel like the arena where you fight Morgoth and where you later fight Godfrey um, feels like that arena in Sekiro at the top of the tower. Oh, like it yeah, has that totally. kind of like classic. Where you fight Owl. This is a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, and past that, there's the entrance to the air tree, but it just says like, no one can come in here. Like yeah. <laughs> the first time you try, it's like, no one can enter here. It's Sorry. covered in thorns. It's covered in like spectral yeah. thorns. Yeah, exactly. So Melon is like, okay, you need to become the Elden Lord. You can't because no one can get in there. So let's just burn this thing down. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> basically you have to go to what is called the forbidden lands that feels a lot like this is where the game feels the most Norse, I would say. It reminds me of like the, because the area outside of like Asgard is where the frost giants live, and yeah. that very much feels like that. Where you're going to this like very cold and cursed place where giants live, and there there's a old like it's, it's kind of like a chalice. It's like a huge yeah, exactly. chalice. Yeah, and there there's a there's a flame that's powerful enough to burn the air tree. Right. So you have to take Melina there, and then she's like willing to sacrifice herself to burn the air tree how did you do against the fire giant i did okay the fire giant i i found to be kind of a tedious boss because i yeah. think it's one of those bosses where they have so much health if they hit you it's over so i feel like it's like <laughs> i i didn't really f- i i prefer the fights like i loved the morgot fight i liked the fights that felt very like fighting game-esque one-on-one like mm-hmm. getting to know the rhythms and yeah it's more of a trade of blows than like a i hit you you're done yeah that's um, how i felt about godfrey too yeah um yeah the i think the fire giant was was at least a spectacle like it's he's so huge and riding on torrent is so fun that like i liked that angle of it but overall i was i didn't have it was one of those bosses where once i beat them i was like all right fine like i wasn't even excited i just like that's kind of how i felt too i i just mean the the bit where you shift phase and and it's leg breaks uh oh yeah was like like i i thought that i kind of had built up a tolerance to what this game was gonna put in front of my (laughs) eyes and somehow that fucked me up even more 
uh, it felt he wild. felt very much like those old medieval drawings where they had like a face on the torso yeah. like yeah the body horror with the giant was unexpected and, yeah. <laughs> and kind of scary <laughs> i also felt really bad because he's like, he's like crawling for most of the fun yeah like, uh, yeah it was rough i i yeah I, also i my my read on that area specifically was that all of the uh, all the giants that were dead were all like actually frost giants and the only reason that the fire giant survived was because he was a fire giant in this oh, frozen land. Oh, that makes land. sense. Um, I love that, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so when you're, when you're approaching that area, one of the first guys you meet, or one of the first NPCs you meet is this guy named Shabriri uh, yeah. who is like... <laughs> Okay, here again, I'm not trying to backseat write this, but I kind of wish it was less clear that he was evil because he's <laughs> like, if you want to spare the girl's life and light the flame yourself, go beneath Lanedell and find the three fingers and mm-hmm. they'll give you the power of the frenzied flame. Yeah. Uh, and then, so it's like, okay, like I care about Melina. She's been helping me out from day one. Uh, I, as a player, would want to s- explore that option. Then he goes, the world will burn in chaos. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not doing anything this guy says. You. Fuck yeah. this. Yeah, no way. Um, but if you do go there, so essentially, and I didn't do this, but basically what I, what I did was when I beat the game and I got the Age of Stars, I just looked up the other endings. I do eventually want to play through all of them, but I was just curious. And for the sake of this episode, I want to at least know yeah, totally. what are the other known endings. So... You have to go into the sewers of Landale, which like suck immediately. But like the further you go, you eventually find a really awful door that's on fire. Mm. Um, And Melina actually stops you and is like, hey, if you take this power, like you really should not. If you are (laughs) if you are the great lord of chaos you are not a lord at all. You will be like the king of dirt, basically. You mm-hmm. will rule over a lifeless realm. She has a really beautiful line where she says, If you intend to claim the frenzied flame, I ask that you cease. It is not to be meddled with. It is chaos, devouring life and thought unending. However ruined this world has become, however mired in torment and despair, Life endures. Births continue. There is beauty in that. Is there not? If you would become Lord, do not deny this notion. Please, leave the frenzied flame alone. So she tells you that, which is the game's way of being like, this is the bad endings. Scooch away. <laughs> and then if you ask her again, it's I wonder if we could even include the clip, because the, the voice actor is incredible. She just begs you, like, please don't don't get this. Yeah. Um it's also like, you know something is especially evil if the game is like, don't go near this thing, please. Yeah. <laughs> so if you do, you have to open the door and you actually have to take off all your armor. So you're just in your rags, and then you meet the three fingers that are like you know, it's kind of funny. I was actually talking with my friend Chris about this. Like when they mentioned the two fingers, like my friend, I thought it was going to be like two leaders of something. Yes. Not oh, yeah. Actually two fingers. Um, so, of course, the three fingers are three fingers. And it's it's a essentially like an index finger, a ring finger and a thumb. So it kind of almost has like a spider mm. like claw to it. And it's on fire. Yeah. Um, and you walk in and it slowly wraps around you. And like burns like finger marks around your skin. Mm. So you've been cursed with this power of the frenzied flame. 
Uh, so then if you go back to the side of grace, Melina says like, ah, I see you, you, uh, chose to ignore all my warnings. I'm out. Like you're on your own now. Wow. And when I meet you again, I'm going to kill you. And then oh, she okay, says cool. goodbye to, yeah. And then she says goodbye to Torrent. It's really sad the way she says goodbye to Torrent, but she's essentially like, it's my fault that you got this far. I gave you the power to use runes. So like, if you choose to become Lord of Chaos, I will kill you. So that's like a really wild scene. And then if you do commit to the ending, the ending of it's called the frenzied flame ending where you like pretty much all the endings involve someone taking America's head, putting it back on her body and like kind of casting a wish almost and yeah. like the realm changes and this one, America's head just crumbles. Like you don't even put it back on. Oh wow! And your head looks like just a rune on fire. Like your head has been replaced by flame, and you're just like you know, wildly like in love with how much fire there is. And then it cuts to the outside, and the air tree has split open like a mouth, and it's just pouring fire into the sky. Oh my god! That's like it's it's really scary. Like truly, it just looks like an unrecognizable reality like the sky and the game even outside of the endings the game pays special attention to the sky as if it's like who is in power here yes when you first get to caleb and it's just a red sky it's so powerful like it it feels like it's a very clear indicator of like how this place is Hmm. um yeah i love specifically when the earth tree is on fire after you beat the fire giant and like anywhere in the world you are you, you can see, see the earth tree burning and there's soot falling from the sky everywhere. It's and awesome. when you go to the round table, it's like kind of on fire. I was amazed yes. like how chill everyone was about it. Like even Gideon <laughs> was like, yeah, I guess you have to commit a cardinal sin. It's all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so if you do that ending post Melina's sacrifice, that's just how it ends. You're like mm. the bad guy and the world is in complete ruin. And that feels like the age of fire in some way, you know, yeah. which is like, it's, it's not quite as glorious. I think the age of fire in dark souls is more like the gods reigning and not, you know, mankind. Yeah. But it feels like the precursor of like a world you would play in, in dark souls. <laughs> so if Melina has already sacrificed herself, that's how it ends. If Melina's still alive, it cuts to her walking back into the air tree and her hair is like kind of frayed and her one open eye is blind. Um, and you hear like neighing or like the distant sound of torrent and she finds the ring she gave you to summon torrent. It's also all burnt up and she like holds it gingerly and, and says, maybe we can include the clip here too or whatever, either way. But she essentially says like, Lord of frenzied flame, I will seek you as far as you may travel to deliver you what is yours. Destined death and it cuts with her other eye opening and it's like purple and glowing so it's essentially setting up a story where melina is hunting you down and as the bad guy and she's like the hero of that story which i kind of love i would love to see that so this (laughs) that's that's all very cool that also kind of gets to a thing that i i wanted to talk about at some point i don't know if any of the questions are about this but like there's there's obviously going to be an Elden Ring 2. This thing is so successful. You think so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's I think there's no chance that they're not going to make a sequel to this. Um, you know, Sekiro, obviously, very popular game, did very well. People like it a lot. But Elden Ring is like a phenomenon, and it would be yeah. wild for them to not make a second one. Um, you know, how involved is George R. R. Martin in that? I don't know. Like, yeah. can, can you really get the whole gang back together, et cetera, et cetera? Um, 
but usually in games that are sequels to games that have multiple endings, they will pick one to like commit to as like, this is the Canon one we're using for this ending. Like obviously all the endings are fine, but this is what we're using as the launch pad for the sequel. And that feels like that would be the sequel. That would be wild. Yeah. And I would actually, that's the one that feels the most like it's setting up something, Yeah, you know? And I mean, even just like, well, cause the other one set up bloodborne and dark souls one and dark souls <laughs> two and demon souls. So that one has to set up Elden ring. Yeah. Too. I just, I would love if there was an ability to like, you upload your save file and the final boss like is your character. That did oh that my ending. God. That would be ridiculous. Oh I mean, there, I don't think that's going to happen, but that like ending. <laughs> yeah. Right. In, <laughs> out of all the endings I watched and the one I got that and, and the age of stars are by far the best. Mm. I think like just like, the most interesting. Cause a lot of them are like pretty standard in terms of like how they're open to interpretation. Both the Age of Stars and Frenzied Flame endings are the path of of distrusting the greater will and the golden order and all that. Mm-hmm. But one is sort of more optimistic and is like, let's let's see what lies beyond the stars kind of thing. And one is burn everything down. Let's start over. Yeah. Uh, which is really fascinating. I do know that there's uh, there's a slight deviation of Ronnie's ending, depending on if you go back to her tower and talk to her one last time before you finish the game or not, uh, where it changes one of her lines from the chosen hero to my chosen hero. And everybody is like going fucking wild over that one specific (laughs) word change. That's like, Oh my God, she loves me. Yeah. My concert (laughs) eternal. Yeah. Cause the last shot of Ronnie's ending and it kind of, we sort of touched on like where her plan was. Her ending is really cool. Cause you summon her, she puts America's head back and then you get like this yeah. beautiful full moon. Uh, it's incredible. I, I've also read that that her like ending monologue might have been slightly mistranslated or at the very least, I think some people interpret it differently because mm. she's she specifies um, she says something like to, I solemnly swear to ev- every living soul that will now enter the guidance of the moon for the next thousand years into into fear loneliness isolation i read that more as like we all got to process some stuff and less like Mm. this is the era of fear and isolation but more like now because there isn't this golden will or there isn't like this hierarchy we're all kind of on our own in this like true sort of cosmic democracy that was my read too was 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 more specific like when when she's referring to the era of fear and isolation it's specifically like you're being isolated from this this big cosmic being that has been calling the shots for now and the fear is just the fear of the unknown which is like a powerful motivator for figuring out your own life uh was how i read it i mean it definitely it definitely sounds dour when she says it but in actuality is like kind of freeing in a way it is yeah it it could it could be interpreted as like a more poetic version of a star trek opening like it's like you know (laughs) but then she you know turns to you and is like my eternal consort and puts her four hands out with the wedding ring yeah and your (laughs) character you can kind of tell your character's nervous because their hand is like oh what do i do (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. yeah Yeah. um that's really funny i really like that ending and that's about as happy as you can get from from soft like yeah you know that that ending there's a lot of unknowns but that's i really love the way we talked about how all these games are are exploring similar ideas and imagery the way that bloodborne interprets the moon and the way that elden ring interprets the moon i think is very fascinating because again it's like elden ring is almost positioning the moon either in opposition or as a reflection of the air tree yes. you know where the air tree is is this sort of literal connection 
between all the tarnished and all the gods. And it's almost like this, you know, going back to the two fingers, it's like this like kind of hand on the whole realm where the yeah. moon is this distant light amidst darkness. And right. the fact too that the stars have been kind of robbed from everyone. You know, Radon has hid the stars underground quite literally. Mm-hmm. I, I love that the moon represents freedom in some ways and also the moon in tarot i think is one of the more interesting cards not to pivot too hard (laughs) but i i think it's all you know it's all similar interpretations because yeah the moon is one of the few cards in the major arcana that's not inherently good or bad right i think it's kind of a hard card to read and it's largely about what has been repressed like what have we been refusing to face there's a transformative element, and there's also quite literally a transformation from the physical to the uh, unconscious or to the spiritual, more more directly with tarot. And but the card depicts three animals that are scared. You know, there's three animals that are howling at the moon in fear of this change, which I think kind of weirdly is one to one with Ronnie's like monologue saying yeah this is going to be scary but it's worth it because we've been playing we've been you know re- repeating on loop the golden order shit and that's not working out so we gotta <laughs> you know move on to something better right also will you marry me i loved it i thought it was a great ending and i felt like you know it, it's i i <laughs> i saw someone in the discord said that they kind of wish there was like an epilogue and like i'm kind of with them like i know that's like totally atypical of from soft stuff but i i wouldn't have minded like a little bit not like an animal house epilogue although i would love that oh my god yeah yeah give me a breakfast club yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) hugh doing the fist (laughs) (laughs) walking out of the round table yeah yeah um but uh i i wouldn't have minded like i mean you kind of get it like but we get that really beautiful opening narration of like all the gods and the names like we could have used like a little bit more of that especially Mm -hmm. with the standard endings like i think ronnie and frenzied flame feel complete but the other four endings that we know of is really just like someone sitting in a chair and the narrator going like the age of stinky skies or whatever like he (laughs) chose the dung eater (laughs) the Um, age of everything sucks yeah (laughs) it's it's like pretty much like how angry is the narrator at your final decision yeah So I, I wouldn't have minded if there was like a little bit of a like slideshow with that art at the end. I think that would have been nice. But, you know, as it stands, it's still a masterpiece. Um, and again, it's I think for the standard endings, I almost wonder if they're kind of short because the game in some ways is telling you like, hey, maybe don't just settle for rebuilding the ring. Even if it's like a different, you know, there's a ending yeah. tied to Gold Mask, Dung Eater, Fia, and then just like you repairing the ring. But they're all choosing to accept reality as it is, which I yes. think is why you get kind of a sitting in the chair and hearing something ending. Right. Yeah. You be, in, in all those endings, you become the Elden Lord and it kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I have a lot of things I still want to talk about, but I have a feeling that a lot of the questions will bring them up more naturally. So I'm wondering, because this segment has been almost an hour already, should we should we move on to questions or do you have I more think stuff? so too because I'm with you because there's so much more I want to talk about but it's hard to choose what and why and I think the <laughs> questions will kind of help guide that yeah all I'll say is I would pay for DLC that just makes Hugh the Elden Lord and like that's kind of all I want wow hell yeah yeah to I Hugh the proper title he deserves I'm curious to see if there's DLC for this game that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot too like is there going to be a sequel? Is there going to be DLC for this? Um, and if so, like, what do you do um, <laughs> with that? Yeah, um, right. Cool. All right. Well, hey, in that case, let's uh, take a break. 
get up, stretch our legs. Stretch our forearms, stare at the moon, yeah. embrace fear and loneliness. Embrace fear and loneliness and move on to questions. Sounds good. See you okay. soon. Bye-bye. Slowed down, Yoshi. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 Balum. Bop. Want to take us in? Oh, are we not in? Oh. All right. Hey, <laughs> no, we welcome back. <laughs> Again. I... <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> oh, wow, 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 wow. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very excited to go through this. I think this will help kind of frame our admiration for this game. Yeah. I don't have all of them here. We were asked like over 40. Thank you all so much for your interest in this. Man, what a like flashback to a time when we would ask for questions and get none. I, it's so exciting yeah. that we have like actually too many now. Um, thank yeah. you so much for for writing in and, and sending all this stuff in. It's so great. I like I, I say this all the time. Like I just always want questions to be a part of the show um so it's cool to have it's cool to have this many yeah it's a pretty open thing like we'll have we'll have episodes like usually for bonuses there's like often a question segment but if there's ever something that that's on your mind that you can reach out to us and if it, it makes for a good conversation we'll cover it so that's an open invite uh tk and discord these are all questions from twitter and discord basically TK asked a bunch of great questions. Um, also, shout out to TK for asking a while ago what game franchises are what star sign. We had way too much fun with that. That was a great <laughs> moment in time. So thank you for your gifts, TK. Um, they ask, what is your favorite overworld area in Elden Ring? And what was your favorite legacy dungeon? Starting off simple. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Overworld area. I think it's, it's kind of hard to beat uh, Liarnia of the Lakes. That's It's a great place. That spot is so cool. Just generally, there's there's a lot of diversity in that area. Um, yeah. Because there's the the lake obviously in the middle that you know houses Ryo Lucaria and all that stuff, which is very cool. It's very foggy. It's very interesting. Um, and then you have these two mountainous paths around the lake as well that have first of all just like a billion and a half secrets. A lot of great NPCs. Um, but you also have the uh the hidden village under the mountain. Yeah. And then the area on top of that, um, which is where the Ronnie quest pretty much ends. Yeah, yeah. that's where the Ronnie quest ends. Um, and that area is stunning. So like Liarnia of the Lakes is a, is a place that I think when you first show up is like, oh, yeah, this is the swamp level. Um, and then you find out pretty quickly like, oh, no, this is Liarnia of the Lakes contains multitudes, man. Yeah, like, there's, there's, there's so there. much going on there. I think. <laughs> what's the first area called limgrave and and the weeping peninsula specifically like those two together i kind of like put in tandem with one another they're kind of like the the beginning area i did find myself frequently surprised at how much there was available to do there um you can spend i mean i did spend like 30 to 35 hours probably just in limgrave by itself um but there's something about the way larynia keeps unfolding and the way you keep returning to it over the course of the game that is like kind of surprising um you know a lot of the other areas are like you dip in and you do some stuff but then you're like kind of done you know like um i I don't know uh lindell for example is like you make your way through lindell and you're like pretty much good the altus plateau kind of a similar thing is like 
once you unlock it, like you could do as much as you want there. And then that's kind of it. Um, but Lyernia, you have to keep returning to. And it's interesting that that's the area that you have to keep returning to. Yeah. I think even by itself, like if you were to just tell me like, okay, Limgrave, Kaled, Weeping Peninsula, Altus Plateau, um, Forgotten or Forbidden Lands, et cetera. Like which is the one that's going to be like the hub that you keep going back to over and over and over again? I never in a million years would have picked Lyernia. It's um, a great pick. So I think, I think that's probably the one for me. I, I really don't think there's, there's a wrong answer. I think every mm-hmm. location in this game is like, it excels in different ways. Like I think even Limgrave, which is, you know, where you begin and is in some ways like the more basic area is still such a cool, like it's where you begin the game. It's where the wonder starts. Um, this is a weird answer. I'm going to go with Kaled, which might sound like a hot take. No, I that, get it. The, the moment where you end up teleported to Kaled or likely will end up <laughs> teleported to Kaled yeah. and you're just full of terror. The sky is red. The basic understanding of how nature should flow is robbed of you. And mm. <laughs> every corner, it's like, do you want to get killed by the shrimp people with a or million the, needles? Yeah, or the dog or with big head mode on. Yeah. The big head dogs <laughs> or the sleeping dragon that like hisses the worst, like a racer head baby cry and awakens all the other dragons that are there. Like, I mean, it's terrifying, but I think it's also like my her cosmic of the power scale of the game where when you show up at Kaled, the first feeling you have is like, I shouldn't be here yet. Yes. You never really feel comfortable in Kaled, but eventually you can take it on. And I think the boss, which we'll probably get to bosses later, but the boss in Kaled, I think is my favorite fight. And I just think that like, Kaled illustrates that even what feels impossible is within your reach at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is maybe like the least welcoming, most hostile area that is still full of wonder, which I think kind of shows the delicate balance of this game that like you could have a place that just has a red sky, giant skulls popping out of the ground. This is also where the notes help the most because they'll be like, Hey, avoid the giant bog of rot. Just like go here. Or (laughs) there'll be a funny note. That's like, look at the big skull in the distance. (laughs) I just, I think Kaled was foundational in the foreshadowing where this game was going to go. I think that like, Coming out and being in Limgrave was cool, but ending up in Kaled, I was like, the world is so much bigger than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go with Kaled for that. And I think also the the Sifra River well, like that first time you go underground, I, I don't know if that's like one area necessarily, but that moment is just like incredible. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty fucked up. Um, what about Legacy Dungeon? I think Rhea Lucaria. Uh, yeah, the, the Academy I thought was a really really cool setting i mean the, just the entrance of seeing the academy outside as you go up the stairs yeah. and i think also you go just, in and it's nighttime it's yeah, like bloodborne it, immediately when you walk yes in. i mean yeah. you and i love bloodborne i think that's that's firmly my second favorite now uh, yeah. after Elden Ring. I, I, me too but uh it's cool that like you know stormvale feels very dark souls the academy feels very bloodborne you know there there are some areas that that you get a little bit of sekiro but overall i feel like it's mostly a, a souls type environment yeah. But yeah, that would be that would be my pick was the Academy. How about you? Mm. I, I really liked. Uh, OK, so there, there aren't too many. There's like six or seven, I think, total yeah. in the whole game. The the last one that I didn't that, that I think is interesting is uh, Mikola's Halig Tree, which is like mm. an, an interesting area. But I, I think the one that really sticks out to me, especially because I'm playing through it again right now, is Stormvale. Yeah. So my, my plan, just to be super clear about what, what I'm planning to do with New Game Plus right now, is I'm trying to avoid Godric. I'm not going to fight Godric. I'm oh. going gonna, gonna to do Renala and 
Radon first is my plan. Gotcha. And then get into Lindell that way and see if I can just leave Godric alive for the whole game. <laughs> um, the grafting continues. Yeah, that's my it's my plan for now. Um, but I am making my way through Stormvale Castle just because I'm like so powerful and all the enemies that were giving me trouble, I'm like, you know, destroying essentially. Um, yeah. You know, th- those like the big knights who have all the wind powers, like I'm just like destroying them, which is great. Um, and even now going through Stormvale, I'm finding wildly new stuff. We were just talking about this before we started recording, but like I found a crucible knight in Stormvale Castle and I and it involved jumping up to uh, the side of an armament and then jumping off of it essentially like near where a bottomless pit is like where the cliff is like out of Stormvale Castle and then doing a series of rolls down to like a little tiny ledge where you have to fight a crucible knight in like the smallest most like narrow ledge possible um and it's horrifying and i'm only able to do it because i am in new game plus it was the only reason i was able to beat the dude but um like just being able to find that stuff there's also um the i don't know if you if you saw the huge like writhing beast all the way at the bottom of stormvale and the giant huge face in the ground when you beat it um is horrifying so there's that as well (laughs) um I just feel like every time I go back to Stormvale, I learn something new about it. And that, and I, I keep one. The thing that really fucks me up is like as I continue to find that stuff in Stormvale, it makes me wonder like Raya Lucaria feels like a much smaller area than Stormvale. But is it actually like maybe it's not. Yeah. Maybe there's a bunch of shit that nobody has found in Raya Lucaria still, you know, like maybe that because that area entirely exists as like a goof like the whole like Raya lucaria is like essentially just made up of tricks and mirrors <laughs> like yeah right. it would not surprise me if there is like a whole second half of Raya lucaria that nobody knows about yet um, right so i'm wondering if that'll be it eventually um but anyway with all with all the legacy dungeons the one that apparently counts according to the wiki that i'm looking at right now is lindell the the royal capital which like is mm-hmm. hard to beat because that is a yeah. place that I spent like maybe 10 hours in just by itself. I I, yeah. I I was floored by it. And then when I found the underground and was like, oh, my God, there's a whole sewer system that I can explore in here as well. It's like this is actually maybe too much for me. And I, I love knowing how much is left of Lindell for me to check out. That's my favorite arrival. And I think it's also really it was really heavy going back to it when it beca- when it's reintroduced as the Ashen capital. After you beat Malaketh, yeah, um, which is you know getting two shades of that setting, and I, it's interesting because I feel like in Dark Souls we would have just gotten the Ashen Capital, right. you know, we would have been <laughs> yeah. able to see Landell in its prime. Um, which, yeah, to be I mean, clear, it's not incredible. even its prime really, but at least it's like pretty, you know. But like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's completely <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are people playing the trumpet. It's not a bad place. Um, oh, I love those little guys. They're great. Yeah, I wish they weren't enemies. I yeah. love to talk to one. Me like, too. It's like, no, Do you yeah. play the horn? What's up? What's up? Uh, so that was the first question. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Another question from TK. Elden Ring saw a huge discussion about certain tactics being overpowered or broken in ways that made the game easier. Did this impact your play style at all? This is uh, this is a really good question. Um, yeah, I thought I, so. I kind of want to talk about this a little bit because I, I, I think you also, I definitely did, but I think you also beat the game before they rolled out that huge update right no i didn't i i was pretty far in i think i was like they had just rolled out that update before i got to malaketh so yeah. i was like in in the you were, you were you were past all of the stuff that got patched already is i think <laughs> oh, the important okay, gotcha. part like all everything gotcha. that they changed you were already long past um so one of the big 
updates to that specifically was making radon easier this is this is my mm. big my big gripe i think not not gripe but this is like my big like this this is the most like shitty gamer i'm gonna be about this <laughs> game just to be clear um the thing about the radon fight and them patching it is they they made him easier i haven't gone up against him yet i'm excited to do it again and see what that's like but they specifically made it easier to take out radon because they found him too difficult I will say that I found that fight to be fucking insufferable. Like I thought it was like way too hard. I'm glad they patched it in a way, but the way that I figured out Radon specifically was asking myself why they made me watch a cutscene every time I wanted to go fight him. Like anytime I went back to his, his little castle and there was uh, the guy standing on top of the, the armament that like told you the story and whatever, sitting there and asking myself like okay why is this the only boss that i'm getting this kind of backstory for literally every time i have to go fight him and the answer is because they're giving you the the clue they're giving you the how to beat radon tutorial in this in this little cutscene. and i I think it just took me a really long time to click with it because there's so much going on when you get into that fight right like you run into that fight and he's immediately shooting you with the void archer class from destiny. And then you have to like <laughs> dodge all of that while also su- like using the summoning signs to summon all of your friends and also patches who leaves immediately. He does the other move. If you get close enough and you dodge enough of his, his spectral <laughs> spectral arrows where he just like does like the rain of arrows and you immediately have to get on the horse. Like I really felt like Bill Murray groundhog day. I have done this so many times. I can do it with my eyes closed. Like I know exactly like where to go, how to move. I, and I don't get hit until I'm like near him. And I went up against him over and over and over again. And like, I was trying to invest points into my vitality. So like his hits wouldn't kill me in one hit. And I tried to do it over and over again. And just like, couldn't fucking figure it out until I had that moment. That's like, why are they showing me this cutscene every time? And the answer is that they tell you all of this specifically to show you that Melania and Radon, that fight that went down ended in such a way where Melania un- unleashed the scarlet rot that ruined Kaled, right? That's why Kaled is the way Kaled is, is because mm. she she is essentially like the the overlord of scarlet rot um and and just kind of like erupted it and Verdon being like so strong of will and mind etc cetera, etc cetera, was able to hold it off just a little bit. Like he he is a husk of himself and he's wandering around this battlefield, you know, just literally like eating the bodies of the people that he fought alongside it's like really fucked up but there is still a little sliver of him there in a way but the whole idea of this festival is they keep bringing in warriors to try and give him an honorable death like they're like Mm. radon's got to go down eventually and he has he has to die in combat specifically but the thing that i really clung on to was like okay He's overloaded with Scarlet Rot and is able to hold it off just a little bit, but he's basically a husk of himself. What if I just hit him with a little bit more? And that moment, that like, oh, this is interesting. Let me see if I can like find some way to inflict Scarlet Rot on Radon was the big aha moment for that fight that I thought was going to end with me being like, well, thank God I'm past Radon. You know, I thought it was going to be one of those fights, like you were saying with the fire giant, where when you were done with it, it's like, oh, that was just annoying. Like, I'm just glad to be done with it. But suddenly having this like, oh shit, there actually is a solve here. Like this is a puzzle and I have cracked it. 
now I need to go spend 10 to 15 hours figuring out how to find a way to inflict Scarlet Rot on the dude. But once I did that and went back, he is so weak to Scarlet Rot. And I went in and I wiped him out my first try. As soon as I figured out that Scarlet Rot thing, I went in and just like completely annihilated the dude. And that's kind of what makes me bummed a little bit that they've now since nerfed him and like made him an easier fight because that whole bit to me at least that whole cutscene, everything that they tell you about his story that's way more straightforward than usually what you get from a FromSoft game yeah, right exists specifically to tell you find a way to use scarlet rod on the dude and he'll go down immediately and just to get back to tk's question about like are there any overpowered builds i then after beating that found a lot of like youtube videos and articles and stuff that was like had a cheese verdon use scarlet rot it's like it's not a cheese that's actually just what the game wants you to do. The game is specifically telling you to do that. So point being, I found myself throughout the course of the game stumbling into builds that apparently are overpowered and fucked up over and over again. I feel like a lot of these games or all of the FromSoft games in some way or another, they all have like extremely fine tuned combat and balance going on here and there. But I find that there's always kind of like a best way to play the game. Like there's always like, there's always the build that I think the game is made for in a way, you know, like whether it's sword yeah. and board in one of the Dark Souls games or like mage in uh, Dark Souls two or three or whatever it was. I, fr- I think I'm getting this backwards um, or the specific uh, loadout that you're using when you're playing Sekiro, things like that. Like there's always like the build where if you kind of class up in that way, you're going to have an easier time, generally speaking. And I feel like in this game and maybe that's not the case after the patch, but I feel like in this game, it's very much the dexterity and intelligence build like Mm -hmm. that by itself, having a dexterity weapon that scales with intelligence. So you can also use use. (laughs) the intelligence spells. Yeah. I feel like most, like not most, but like a lot of the people that I'm talking to are also using those builds. So I ended up using, um, what is it called? The Moonvale Katana specifically because like it had the sickest ability scaled with dex and intelligence i was using a lot of intelligence for some of the spells that i was using as well but i found myself generally speaking using like sword uh, uh, the moon veil in one hand a shield in the other hand and then my mimic tier ash which is the other thing that is like wildly overpowered but i feel like the game just kind of like shuttled me in that direction i didn't feel like i was breaking the game you know um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's worth noting they also they nerfed the uh, mimic tier in the mm-hmm. in the update as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I think Radon, regardless of whether or not you use the rot ability, um, Radon's fight is really the lesson of like use whatever the fuck you have. Like, yes, that is totally. the, like I think Margit is there to be like, here's like how to block and roll and play the game normally. And yeah. Radon is like, here's a fight that makes no sense that, you know, we're encouraging you to summon everyone you've ever met in the game so far and <laughs> use whatever you and, have. And even people uh, you haven't met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like meeting uh Blyde and Alexander, like in the courtyard of that castle, that the setup to that fight and yeah. the feeling you have after beating it, that was like a, a a highlight for that game and that is the most i i shared this with a friend of mine but that is the most it feels like the fellowship of the ring like mm. and of course in FromSoft's version of that it's like seeing all your friends have died as redon is just like swinging his <laughs> arms around you know like he lands in the credits. ground as a comet yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but like being able going back to that undercurrent of optimism through like companionship like having your allies there to help you 
that with that fight, which is essentially trying to give an honorable death to someone who has lost themselves. Yeah. And then like the minute you beat him, because I think, I think Radon's power is gravity, right? He's like sort of the demigod of like, yes the gravitational force yeah he uh i don't know if this is a bit or if this is real but i heard online that he specifically learned anti-gravity so he could continue to ride his horse which sounds like (laughs) a goof but like also might be real Um, it sounds sounds but he uh he he specifically has the ability to to uh control gravity yeah and when you beat him the stars return to the sky and Kaled it's such a beautiful moment and like yeah. being able to reconnect with uh with Blyde and Alexander like in the aftermath of that victory i yeah that that is the most hopeful i felt in the journey cuz again i think it's going back to what i said about Kaled like you can eventually take on the impossible that is the fight that i don't i wouldn't say it's the hardest fight in the game but I think it's the one that feels the hardest. It, it yeah. feels the most unattainable. Knowing from Soft, like them nerfing Radon, I highly doubt it's an easy fight. <laughs> I think it's probably, still probably yeah. pretty fucking hard. But, you know, yeah. I, I understand why you would have mixed feelings on that. Because I do think that that specific fight is sort of about thinking outside the box in many ways. Yes, totally. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Was, why, that was why it felt like a puzzle to me by the time I figured it out. One of the other ones that I think is worth probably bringing up at this point, who I know you haven't gone up against, is uh, Melania herself, you know, speaking yeah. of Radon. Melania is a fight that did not get nerfed. Melania is a fight that is uh, notoriously difficult. Lots of people talking about, like, you got to nerf this fight. I think I think she's too hard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the... I, f- I went up against Melania a couple times and was like, I don't need to do this for the bonus episode. <laughs> I was like... I, yeah, it's worth noting she's really optional. Like... Yeah. Radon's technically optional, but you have to beat him for Ronnie's quest line. Right. Melania is like sort of hiding for those who want to take the challenge on. Yes. And I I think that that's important. I think that's an important context for this fight in particular, because starting with Margit, Margit is teaching you how to play Elden Ring versus the other FromSoft games. This is a thing you and I have talked about on the show before, but like specifically they're punishing you and have built into his moveset ways to punish you for like panic rolling or for not using the guard counter correctly or a whole multitude of things he's able to switch up his moveset in ways that most first bosses in a FromSoft game do not um specifically because they like really need to drill into your head like this isn't dark souls you're not going to be just rolling out of the way all the time we taught you the guard counter for a reason. When he has his little knife, you have to use the guard counter against it, and then you can break his poise, and then you can get a crit, and we want to reward you for learning all of these mechanics. As you continue to play the game, other bosses will challenge you in those ways, right? I think Godric is a really good example as well, following Margit, in that a lot of guard, uh, Godric's moves can be guard countered or parried or whatever, allowing you to get a lot of crits on him. But also, a lot of his moves specifically take way longer to hit than you would think. It's not that they have, like, big wind-ups, because Margit has a lot of big wind-ups. Like, he's really telegraphing the stuff he's doing. But Godric, in particular, will, like, swipe in a direction very slowly to wind up for another hit. And it all takes way longer than you think. Like, there's a tempo and a rhythm to these kinds of fights. And Godric's don't make any sense. And that means you have to learn how to fight Godric effectively to take him down. That is echoed over and over and over throughout the game. There are a whole bunch of bosses that do that. I feel like um, 
what are the uh, the burial tree watchdogs are like great examples yeah. of that as well where they they it seems like they have really awkward patterns but eventually you learn them and you figure them out whatever whatever there's fights like Renala and Radon who have like actually like solves for them they're more like puzzles than anything and all of this leads up to you being towards the end of the game and finding Melania Melania as a fight and I understand why they didn't nerf her but Melania as a fight is like okay you have spent literally probably at this point 100 hours <laughs> learning the way that we are trying to teach you to play this game here's a completely different way we could have built this game Melania's fight is like a sw- it's the biggest all-time swerve where there's a whole different version of Elden Ring combat and you just get to fight one boss with that version of Elden Ring combat <laughs> because the the way she moves the speed at which she moves the attacks that she has in her moveset, uh, the way she pushes phase, all of these things add up to something that is a more frenetic, almost bloodborne adjacent version of combat that could have been an Elden Ring and like wasn't probably for the best. But <laughs> that's why Melania is this ultimate challenge. I think that's why Melania is this like super optional hidden the fuck away you need to complete like eight different side quests to even access the area where you may or may not find the the uh, legacy dungeon that leads to Melania like she's so hidden and if you find her your reward is an extremely difficult challenge that makes you unlearn everything you know just for this one fight and I think <laughs> I, I think that that's like perverse in a way but it's also really exhilarating and I understand why people are frustrated by that in a way but I think that's the reason for it I think that that's the reason like she didn't get patched they didn't change anything about the way that that fight's gonna work because they just want you to have that experience that one time. And I think it's cool. I think it's a cool idea. Again, yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to beat Melania for that. But I did have a moment where I was like, oh, cool. That's what they're trying to do with this. And I was like, all right, well, see ya. I'm going to go finish the game now. <laughs> Maybe I'll come back in New Game Plus. I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I didn't reach her. But I'm just like, I'll save that for a one day type thing. So I, I didn't want to make this game something I resent. Which I think is easy to do if you get really like tunnel vision on a boss. Totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's really cool to hear though. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think it's funny that like they all represent such different aspects of design. That's like, here's something that like shouldn't exist in this world, but you can take it on if you want. Yes. Another question from TK. You can have bloodborne Two, Sekiro two or Elden ring two, whichever one you pick will be made next by from, but the other two options are never, ever going to come out. <laughs> What do you pick? I honestly. Are you, are you going to. I have an answer. Okay. And it might be controversial, but I, I have a defense for it. I want to say Bloodborne too. Yeah, me too. That was I also going to be my answer. <laughs> yeah. I think that as much as I want and expect a sequel to Elden Ring, there's so much here. And it's also good that I don't really truly need more. Yeah. Um, even though I'd love to see more if that's what they choose to make. Uh, Bloodborne <laughs> is. I think a masterpiece, but I do think there's potential to one up it. I think that there's like a way to follow up that game and that world with something that's even more yeah. exciting. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I don't have much to add outside of like, give me a FromSoft who made Elden Ring making Bloodborne 2, you know, u- yeah. using that knowledge to make a, a more streamlined sequel uh, that, that isn't an open world and is like complete like you know they come hot off the heels of making this big open world where anyone can encounter things in any way shape or form and then to go back to a more kind of like 
Castlevania-esque approach with, with a Bloodborne 2 would be unbelievable. Yeah. Sekiro 2 would be cool as well, but I think <laughs> it's funny to hear your conversation about the Millennia boss and I feel like Sekiro is like the approach at her boss, but as a whole game. Yeah. It's like here is a combat style that is specific. Like it's it's extremely distinguished from the rest of the entire, you know, series if you want to connect them all. Right. Um, and it's a very specific playstyle that we're demanding you learn. Yeah. Um Right. Like when when uh the the um cleric beast slash father gascoigne of that game is uh that that troll that's chained up and also lady butterfly it's like (laughs) those are two entirely different video games you're asking me to play those two fights yeah yeah (laughs) um cool okay moving on to a new question asker myth in discord asks what are your ideal accessibility options to be added to elden ring or any other from soft game that's a wonderful question. I don't know if I feel totally equipped to answer it like definitively because I think while I definitely would love to see more options, I don't have the expertise to say like what they should be. Yeah. I think for me, the big thing, and I think these games tend to attract this debate often of accessibility and difficulty options. Um, it shouldn't really be a debate is kind of where I come from. Like it's <laughs> it should just be there. Uh, but I do think sometimes there is confusion or accessibility is lumped into conversations about difficulty. Right. And to me, I think that the the main issue is not necessarily that Elden Ring is hard, but that there are a lot of people who, for a variety of reasons, physically can't play it because of the lack of accessibility options, who would still want to experience and enjoy that challenge, but literally can't. There, there are a lot of posts on the internet about the lack of accessibility. Um, there's a really great website called Can I Play That uh, that has a really good piece specifically about Elden Ring that uh, I'll link to in the show notes. Let me yeah, save definitely. this for myself. That's specifically about this writer's experience playing it. It's just it's just very frustrating because like, as you were just saying, this is the kind of experience I would want everybody to be able to have. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't think I can specifically like shout out anything in particular, but I do think that it's an investment that would be worth making for FromSoft um, to allow more people to experience the game as they wanted experienced. On, I mean, to separate that from difficulty and go down the difficulty edge, I mean, it, look, I, I'm not going to get into the whole debate just outside of the thing that we always say, which is it'd be nice if there was a difficulty option in this game. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my feeling about it. I know people feel otherwise. I think that's kind of bullshit to feel otherwise in a way. Like, I, I get artistic intent and stuff. Um, but adding difficulty options doesn't mean that the one that is the artistic intent goes away. Uh, cause it wouldn't so. be a racing challenge, you know, like that's the thing. It's like, yeah. there's a way to have a player experience the same thrill with lowering the ask a little bit. Yeah. You know, that's kind of weirdly um, the, uh, maybe not irony about this game, but I, I think kind of the thing about this game is that this, this structure and this format of gameplay is the most from soft way of answering the please add a difficulty option uh, question for for these games. Right. It's like this idea that you can bump up against a boss and then go out and like farm a bunch of uh, experience and then come back later and it's going to be easier for you um, is technically a way of doing it. But that having been said, like it would be nice if if there was a way to make the game easier because um, even even amongst the more hardcore fan base, there is a pretty vocal group of people who have been upset about the way the difficulty scales towards the end. Like the last like 
three or four story bosses, especially when you're like invested in the story and want to see it through. Yeah. The, the way the game ends with, um, I, I keep forgetting we can be specific, but like draconian tree sentinel on that bridge that leads to Malekith and then Malekith followed by, uh, who is it? It's Godwin. It's uh, Godfrey, Gideon, Godfrey, Radigan, yes, yes. and then the Elden Beast. Yes. Like all of those fights, like all happen right next to each other. If you're just trying to like beeline through the end of the story and, uh, they're pretty rough, I think for some people, um, I I did all I did all right not to be like pro gamer <laughs> cool strats over here. Um I did okay. I, I I had some trouble specifically on the Draconian Tree Sentinel was the one that actually gave me the most trouble of all of really? those ones we wow. just named. Um but uh the the Radigan fight took me a couple tries and eventually I was like I have mastered this and then the Elden Beast is so weird that that took me a while as well. And I think that's kind of one of my biggest complaints about about the way the game ends in particular also just like a kind of side note is like yeah. the elden beast being as difficult as it is especially with the way the music swells and stuff radigan is hard enough you know then to yeah. go into elden beast and then need to fight elden beast over and over and over again the the success of that and seeing the ending is actually lessened by me needing to go up against that boss as many times as i do yeah it and Elden Beast is is similar to the Fire Giant in that it's an, a boss that just takes forever, yeah. and like half of the fight is just getting to where they are. Yeah, and the fact that you can't ride Torrent in that fight is ridiculous. Like, you, if you could ride Torrent in the Elden Beast fight, it would be significantly better. That's like yeah, all be I so would fun. Want. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's I agree, and I think that frustration, like specifically the I want to beat the Elden Beast to see the ending, um that I feel like is much that that frustration is so much more present in Sekiro, which is actually it's interesting to like think about the ask of a difficulty option in terms of both games. So I think you're right. I think Elden Ring, by being open world and by having so many avenues to power up, becomes more approachable in that way. And, you know, I think is also kind of part of the loop. Like when you are we've said this many times already, but like when you're up against a boss that you are having trouble with it is incentivizing you to explore and that becomes sort of integral to the experience in a way that I think like if I wasn't incentivized to go off, you know, and and explore somewhere new, I wouldn't have had that experience. Whereas the Sekiro, there is a present, very engaging narrative happening that I want to see that I can't. And it's like, it's like every step of the way is that frustration. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I, I do think the Elden Ring is in some ways, the answer to that ask but yeah there's there's plenty of room for for more options obviously yeah so on on both the accessibility and approachability side i feel like elden ring is definitely less than and there's a lot of work to be done Um, totally yeah uh moving on to the next question uh this is i think we might have answered this already but uh at drag fee on twitter asks did you have any jaw-dropping moments in the game and if so what were they the short answer is just like the whole game truly uh (laughs) but i would say the ones that stand out are are, i think the river well the first time you know going down and seeing a whole world full of stars underground uh showing up in kaled um you know, yeah, anytime time. you get teleported elsewhere, I, uh, when you get teleported to the Divine Bridge in Lindell and there's just the big giant with the huge hammer and like the magma feet. Uh, yeah. And that's the only thing you can do there is fight that. <laughs> it's like so yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. also seeing the, the when you're entering Lindell 
and seeing the el- the air tree closer to you and seeing the doorway yeah, on it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a brilliant shot. I loved that moment. Yeah. Um oh, man, yeah, there's there's so I there's so much to highlight. I think going back to Radon, uh when you the first time I went into the Radon fight, like I took the the you know, I, I went down that little path, went to the teleporter and then showed up and I just saw like a purple glow in the distance and immediately died. <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, I got one shot too. This is going to yeah. be a very different kind of fight, huh? Um, yeah, it was kind of that fun. moment is very much the patches kicking you down a a, a hill yeah. moment for sure. Also, I like I I know it's a little bit of a split because it's not like oh cool visual, but just like mechanics. I think there are a bunch of like mechanic holy shit moments as well in this game. Yeah. And 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 progression, holy shit, bits as well. Like just as an example, the grand lift of Dectus also going down and not just up. Uh, that's how you get to the for- not the Forbidden Land, um, but the area under that where uh, Mikola's Halig Tree is and Melania mm. and all that stuff. There is uh, an entire village of like passive NPCs that you can find at one point. Uh, I, there's just so much. There's just so much in this game that's like shocking. Uh, I, I it's it's amazing how often they're able to just completely swerve what you think you're going to run into. Um, yeah. There's one area, I I don't want to say too much because you haven't seen it yet, but there's one area specifically, an empty town. There's like, you'll, you'll see it like from way far away, but there's a bunch of buildings that look like a little town uh, and, you know, all the streets are paved. It kind of looks like a little mini version of Lindell in a way, but like really small. Um, and there's nothing there at all. Like there's nobody in there. There's no NPCs you can talk to. And you have to stand on a specific, it's like an Everjail entrance. Mm. And when you do it, you get teleported to a second version of the town that's filled with invisible black knife assassins. Oh my God. And you just have to try and make your way through the town and like keep track of where the invisible black knife assassins are. And if you don't, they'll just kill you immediately because they just can sneak up on you and stab you in the back and you die. And it's horrifying. It's a horrifying wow. bit that that the first time one of the invisible assassins jumped out at me and killed me was I, I actually yelled. <laughs> I did actually I haven't been there, but I did get the ability to summon one of those assassins, yeah. which was like another jaw dropping moment for mechanics. Um, I'm going to move on. If that's cool with you. Yeah. Gabe O in discord. I have found the narrative around Elden Ring's reception fascinating. Similar to Breath of the Wild, many people are playing this as their first FromSoft game, Souls game, or even their first video game in a long time. Both Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring, in my opinion, are not super inviting mechanically to newcomers. I agree. What question... My question is as to why this could be. Do you all think the influence of the cultural zeitgeist is a driving factor for this? I've always felt personally that that could be the case alongside the fact that these games are incredibly well designed and executed of course would love to hear your thoughts my wonderful question yeah my, my my very quick take on this honestly is like these games are just really fucking good <laughs> yeah you know in a weird yeah. way like I, I know that's like silly to say but like whatever is popular is the uh is the thing that enters the zeitgeist and the FromSoft souls inspired stuff is popular because it's really fucking good i mean as as you said in the question like it's just executed so well and and there are companies here and there that are able to execute on their vision at at this high of a level and those are the ones that influence the culture and and other games at large right and i just feel like fromsoft is like simultaneously uh making games for you know people like you and me who like this kind of stuff but also i feel like they're a little bit like game designers favorite games in a way yeah you know? right 
because there's just like there's so much thinking outside the box in terms of the way they're telegraphing narrative and mechanics and structure um and and i i I think it's only natural that that's that gets picked up and then like applied to every other game that everybody else is working on in a way so the the short silly answer is just like they're really good and for that reason they're going to inspire (laughs) other people you know yeah i i think it's i think it's easy to write off what becomes popular but usually it's for a reason whether it's intended or not like Mm -hmm. People people know what they want deep down, I think. And when things <laughs> take off in this way, it's usually like a big moment of honesty. I think, too, with Breath of the Wild and with Elden Ring specifically, the design of the game, while not necessarily welcoming in terms of difficulty, it is so free and hands-off that everyone is kind of starting on the same page. Yeah. Even you and I, who have played these games before, we're going to lose just as much as someone playing this for the very first time. Yeah. You know? Like, unless you're someone who has dedicated a, a YouTube channel to, like, not getting hit ever, which, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, you're going to die a lot. And I think that, like, I think this is the first time the games you died screen, the sort of, like, loud message that failure is part of this really actually works because there's so many things to do and there's like okay i'm just i i know a lot of people who are playing this for the first time who it's their first from game and they're really taking their time with it and they're really just exploring Limgrave, leveling up seeing all the caves and dungeons slowly mm-hmm. beating those bosses and like they're gonna be even better equipped to take on the later bosses you know yeah. i i was kind of impatient i fought marga at level 18 with like a very standard sword (laughs) and you know i made it work but like someone who is cautious and is is exploring will be rewarded for that for that uh patience right you know because again i I mean that's what the the the, the, that's why the tree sentinel is there as soon as you leave the tutorial is to teach you that in particular is like exactly this thing is too hard for you go leave and come back and fight it later that's that's the first thing the game teaches you when you leave the tutorial zone uh yeah and and i feel i i think you're right that the people who are playing in a more cautious way who will take a longer amount of time when they show up and they go fight margit and they're level 35 already like yeah they're gonna kill that's as intended an experience as the one that you had you know exactly and that's i think you said again earlier that this is the promise of video games i think breath of the wild and Elden ring both captured the feeling of even just like playing in your backyard like yeah (laughs) just like true imagination i think that that sort of transcends audience where it's like you don't have to have had a history with games to appreciate what this one is doing so that would be my answer it's hard to say like exactly why this stuff you know lightning strikes sometimes and and this this feels very similar to Hades, where I think like this feels like the fruition of what this studio has been working on for so long. Mm-hmm. Much like Supergiant, it was like they they've taken all the best elements from their work and made a game that like really directly communicates like here's what our art is trying to say. Yeah, and it's cool to see such a giant audience for it. Here's a fun one for you, Silverhanded on Twitter. Have Boy, either of you read Berserk? Ah, I started to read it a year or so before Demon Souls came out. And it was amazing seeing a detailed 3D world so clearly inspired by Kentaro Miro's stunning art. It's a difficult and violent work, so I don't fault anyone who can't engage with it. Um, I have not read it yet. I really want to. I know you've been reading it. Yeah, I have been reading it. I'm uh, on volume five or six at this point. Um, I think it's really great. Simultaneously, I think it's extremely off-putting, and I, I, I wouldn't recommend it to most people. I think it's, I think it's 
I think it's a very interesting work and I'm enjoying my time with it, but I also need to read it in kind of short bursts because uh, it's, it's a little tough to get through sometimes. Yeah. Um, just like visually, like, like some of the iconography and, and some of the, some of the visual design is like actually so grotesque and horrifying that I'm like, I need, I, I can't, I can't sit here and like blaze through an entire volume like I do with other manga that I read. Um, yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's tough, but that having been said, um, I, I already understand why it was as influential as it was specifically why it was as influential as it was on Miyazaki in making this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, uh, Guts of Sword is in all of these games. Uh, That's and, so cool. And you can go find it in Kaelid. It's actually really easy to find in this game. I found it. Uh, I found it like the week before I started reading Berserk. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> it's a sign. I, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Cool shit. I love how Kayla is full of really good stuff for the early game. Like, yeah. I, my friends who play for the first time keep asking for advice. And I'm like, okay, you've got to go to the worst place ever. <laughs> but if you can run around there well enough, you'll find a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. One of the best uh, staffs in the game is also there. Uh, I, yeah. forget, I forget what it's called, but it scales with int specifically. Like, if you have a dex int build. Uh, it's one that a lot of people recommend. I ended up not using a staff at all, except for a couple occasions where I would have one equipped and then use my mimic tier and then unequip it. Uh, oh, fun. Just so my mimic would have moon veil and a staff and like go use a bunch of spells and like do the cool moon veil move. But uh, yeah, I, I was pretty much sword and board the whole time. Yeah, I used a couple spells mostly to pull crowds. Like I had Loretta's great bow, which is a really good spell. Yeah. I essentially just use that to get rid of my bow. So I just had like that makes sense. A staff and shields. Yeah, I'm I'm focusing more on spellcasting in this run, which has been really interesting. Yeah, I want to upgrade my mind and my faith. I I'm glad I went Dex Int, but I had so many Dragon Hearts by the end of the game, and then I found the Dragon Cathedral. That like you can get some real like because faith is kind of a setup. Because I feel like when you see faith and you find faith spells, it's all like heal yourself, protect yourself, and it's like ah, it's boring. I'm gonna yeah, do intelligence, yeah. and then you find like you know all the frenzied flame stuff, and then just summoning dragons with yeah. faith. Very cool. <laughs> uh, that that is how I inflicted scarlet rot on Radon. By the way, oh. was, was uh, <laughs> nice. killed the dragon, used its heart to get the the scarlet rot breath, and then. Uh, Used it. They just did it. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, the Jake on Twitter. Favorite boss design visually and favorite boss design mechanically. This is a little bit of a swerve because it's more the arena than anything else. But the Renala fight when you push phase yeah. into the moon. Uh, and it's like, what if Rom the Vacuous Spider, but stunningly beautiful. Yeah. Uh, in- instead of just like horrifying and <laughs> Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, was really cool. Um, really, 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 really love that arena in particular. Me too. That would be my answer as well for visuals. I also really, really love the first time you go up against... Oh, man. They all have God in the name. I'm forgetting his name now. Not It's not Godric. It's Godwin? It's Godwin? Godfrey. Godfrey. I don't think Godwin's a boss. Godwin is the... The son that was killed by assassins that triggered the Shattering, yes. essentially. The, the, the Knight of Black Knives. Yes. Yeah. The first time you fight Godfrey in his spectral form because he's dead <laughs> yeah, uh, is incredible. I, it's I love very surprising. That. Yeah. I yeah. love that fight. I love that vibe. Like, yeah. Also, it's very surprising because you walk through the door not expecting that you're about to do a boss fight. Um, it's great. Yeah. I would say Renala also partially for the arena is my favorite visually. Um, and mechanically, I even like the first phase, even though it's very creepy, like the students crawling around. Like, it's a little tedious mechanically, mm. but atmospherically it's very powerful i love that fight yeah 
think it's really um, cool. Mechanically, I would say uh, Morgat. I really like the round mm. two against Margot. Like you've come so far at that point yeah. to see that one of the great lords is the first boss that gave you so, so much trouble. I yeah. was like, oh, and I didn't. I didn't really have a hugely difficult time against him, so I felt very powerful. But mm. it was also like I love bosses that have that kind of fighting game arena. I love bosses that are hard but they're operating in a language i can understand and like yeah they're dealing damage but also taking damage and you can summon in that fight it, it just it's a very clean solid fight totally i think if you ever find moog the lord of blood i think you'll have a very interesting time as well yeah uh would that be yours mechanically uh no but i think i think if you like the morgoth fight i think you'll like the moog fight even yeah. more maybe um, it's it's really tough, but it's super rewarding. I banged my head against that one for a really long time. Mechanically, um, I really, really, I know this is maybe uh, a hot take, but I really love the Malekith fight. Um, the the difference between phase one and two, I thought was really exhilarating. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of it. I don't know. It just felt like a Bloodborne boss just like dropped in the middle of Elden Ring. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I, my hot take with Malekith is I found the first form harder. I don't know why, but I, I think like mm. the second form had more of a logic. I can understand like, like you get to the second form and you die in one hit the first time. Yeah. But as long as you stay close, you can kind of dodge what's happening. And, and there's a rhythm to the like blades being shot in the air. The problem yeah. with Malekith's second form is that he reduces your total health. Yes. <laughs> so it's like very hard to not get one shot. The first form is like not as threatening, but I just had a much harder time reading what was happening. Like I yeah. never really, I kind of had to just waste my summon on like dealing with the weird rocks being thrown and stuff. Yeah. Um, How'd you do against um, Godfrey the second time? I, honestly, pretty easy. Yeah. I, I think the second I beat him in form, one. I actually, like I didn't even really clock oh, what was wow. going on because I, I did so poorly against Godfrey the first time in his spectral yeah. form that like I really learned the shit out of all of his moves yeah um, so by the time i went up against him again it's like mostly the same move set it's just once you push that phase it obviously gets completely wild yeah, he becomes um, bone saw from spider-man which i love yes uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but i i like hadn't used my summon or my wondrous physic uh at all when i first started that fight so by the time uh, i pushed phase i was like oh here comes my summon here comes my physic and then he went down in the first uh, the first run so i like i didn't even really get to like acknowledge what was happening there um i just thought it was interesting his second but, phase yeah. is just like kind of like if he grabs you you're kind of done which like a lot of bosses have like one hit kill grabs which is yeah. infuriating but he has that like wwe like you know toss you in the air and then pile drive mm -hmm. you um yeah he wasn't too bad I, I i thought he was like pretty okay actually helped other people fight him after beating him oh so I was cool like, He's a chump. I did that with Renala too. Yeah. You helped me with Renala. I Thank did, you for yeah. that. That was fun. Yeah. I, I really like that fight. I think it's really cool. That was, that was the only one that I wanted to experience like multiple times over, you know, like yeah. every once in a while I would be like, I want to go do that Renala fight again. I would just go put my summon sign down. Uh, I love when we did that. We both put like my achievement, because like, PS5 records like a little video when you get an achievement and the video that they recorded was us both striking a pose as it was like, oh. you know, boss defeated. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's it was great. very good.
Uh, Zesbian Discord. This one might be more for Brendan, but mm. Elden Ring seems to be pulling a lot from Dark Souls 2, despite Dark Souls 2 being known as the bad Souls game, in quotes. I wish I wish you could see my big smile. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was because DS2 had a lot of aspects that easily transferred to an open world system? Yes. Or rather that they had a clear goal in mind to bring some of the themes, mechanics of that game back and iterate on them? Yeah, I do think I talked about this recently in an episode and I tried to be vague about it, but ended up being so specific that I think I just said my whole conceit. out loud. <laughs> um, but just just to recap, I love Dark Souls 2. I think it's incredible. I think I don't I don't mind saying it, but you and I have talked about maybe revisiting the trilogy this year, yeah. like as potentially a bonus episode or something like maybe a series yeah. of episodes. But like we've been talking about going back and playing through one, two and three and uh, it'll be my first time finishing three. So like that'll be cool. Like that, I, I'm just excited about that idea. Yeah. But in my time playing them, Dark Souls 2 is the one that I always latched onto and thought was the most interesting. Um, and specifically, there's this dichotomy, I think, between the way people talk about Dark Souls and Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne and this interconnectivity of the world. And they use that as the reason why Dark Souls 2 is bad, specifically because like the world isn't interconnected. There are uh strange swerves that are happening left and right where like you think you understand the geometry of a place but it turns out you don't there are places that shouldn't exist that you walk into you go to the top of a tower and there's an elevator that goes up to a volcano castle um there are two underground areas that uh if you look at the geometry of the map they like actually completely overlap they they occupy the same space in space um, they shouldn't be there. There shouldn't be both of them. That kind of stuff, I think, is really exciting in yeah. that game, especially as a follow-up to Dark Souls uh, and Demon Souls, where like this idea of of the world is like logical and makes sense was kind of the thing that people latched onto. I think it was a really cool idea to specifically be like, throw that out the window. You're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be walking around this place and have literally no idea what you're gonna see next. I think is actually really exciting. Um, on top of that, there's a lot of mechanic stuff that I think is really cool about Dark Souls 2 that they kind of switched up. Um, they throw a lot more enemies at you in Dark Souls 2, so you can't rely on target locking as much as you could in Dark Souls 1 and in Demon Souls, um, which I think is a really cool kind of swerve also mechanically where like a lot of people are going to walk in and be like, all right, let me hit the lock on button and see what I lock on to. But the answer is like it's 15 rats. Like the answer is it's 15 rats and there's no way you'd locked onto the one that's about to hit you that you're yeah. trying to block against um, stuff like that, I think is exciting and is the kind of thing that makes people excited about new FromSoft games specifically because of what we were talking about with Bloodborne with like Cleric Demon and Father Gascoigne and what we were talking about with Margit in Elden Ring and in Sekiro when you're up against the troll and Lady Butterfly at the same time and they're teaching you the, the different ways that you need to play this FromSoft game versus all the other ones. Dark Souls 2 as a sequel to the first one specifically saying like we have figured out a new way to fight using mechanics you already understand I think was a cool idea and ended up being a thing that a lot of people said like this sucks and then they went on to love it in later games Um, (laughs) and I think that Elden Ring uh, personally feels a lot like Dark Souls 2 it feels more like Dark Souls 2 than it does any of the other FromSoft games to me um because of that idea that i have no idea what's next i go and ride an elevator in the middle of the woods down into the co for river well where there are stars in the sky and like ghost people with antlers and uh, like that place shouldn't exist it shouldn't look like that and yet here it is um and that happens over and over again the thing that i mentioned in an earlier episode was i think the the genius the 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 rabbit pulling out of the magic hat 
of Elden Ring is that unlike Dark Souls 2, there is there is an ideological understanding of this as a physical space. All this stuff actually does exist and you can see point A from point B. That doesn't make it any less shocking when you're there. When you show yes. up in Kaled and you look back and you can still see the Erd tree, that's wild that these two places can exist in the same plane. Oh um, yeah. But but there but there is there is a mental map that your brain makes that's like, oh yeah, I do understand where this is in relation to that though. As evidenced by the fact that there is a literal map that you can bring up in this game versus all of the other Rumsoft games, except for <laughs> Sekiro, I guess. But even yeah, comparatively, right. the Sekiro map is not as helpful. Um, yeah. But point being, I, I, I think taking that idea of Dark Souls 2 that's like, you have no idea what's coming next. There's no possible way for you to understand it because you're expecting this to follow a logic and it doesn't. To take that idea and then also create a reality where you are surprised and understand its place in space is actually genius is actually yeah. genius design um so i don't know that's that's my dark souls 2 spiel I, I i'm really excited game. to finally play i haven't played dark souls 2 yet so i'm like really excited to <laughs> i will have such a weird experience with that game having not <laughs> played it and then playing it after elden ring yeah like, is this elden ring 2 Sick. yeah uh next question uh that slide devlin on twitter who was your favorite NPC or what was your favorite NPC related quest line that you've experienced? I personally found Ronnie and her followers to be very interesting. First of all, extremely upset uh, that I beat the game before they added the big patch that finishes a bunch of NPC quest lines. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, Me too. That's, that, that actually is the reason that I started New Game Plus was because like there are some of them that I really want to see. What's that guy's name? Uh, Kenneth Height? Yeah, like, Kenneth Height. Yeah. I gotta know what's up with Kenneth Height. <laughs> Because he, he's like, oh, somebody stole my castle. Please help me reclaim it. And then you do. And then he just stands there and is like, I need to find someone to be the Elden Lord. It's like, I'm standing right in front of you, man. Yeah. And then he just never updated I that line of I kept going dialogue. back. Yeah, me too. He was like, over and over and over again. Somehow in a world of like gods, witches, and demons, I was interested most in Kenneth Height. Me too. <laughs> I mean, he has big Lorenz energy, so like I just needed to know what was going on with his vibe. Yeah, you know? me too. Um, so that I'm I'm very very excited to learn more uh, about what's going on with Kenneth Height in New Game Plus. Um, that would be I, the uh, the episode title if this wasn't a bonus. What's going on with Kenneth? <laughs> what's going on with Kenneth Height? Yeah, um, they also add. Uh, did you did you find Jarberg? No, I didn't. I was I, I've heard tale of it and I know what it is, but I wasn't able to get okay. there. Okay, They added an NPC to Jarberg who I have now met and I'm very excited to see what's up with them as well, because uh, there was nothing to do there. You would just show up and it was just like a nice place to be, but there was actually no reason to be there. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what's up with that. But um, anyway, do you, who's your who's your favorite NPC? I, I need to think about this. Kenneth Height <sighs> was the one that just like popped into yeah, my Ken head. But, Kenneth is underrated. You yeah, know, I agree. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to say Blyde for me. I think yeah. I think I, I really he he's the Solaire, but he's also kind of edgy, which I like. Like he's sort of like if Solaire was your rival. Mm. And I think there's that moment where when you start Ronnie's quest and then you realize that like Ronnie, Blyde, and EG all hang out, and I'm like, oh my god, I feel like I'm like finding the cool kids' lunch table like in school. <laughs> like, I can I can sit here with all of you, sick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, and they're clearly like fan favorites, like immediately. And I think that's probably because like that side quest feels so almost more momentous than some of the main quest does. Like mm -hmm. there's so much there. Um, and there's a lot of like direct storytelling with Ronnie 
telling <laughs> Ronnie tells you more than Melina about like what's happening. Um <laughs> But uh, Blyde, I really loved. I really liked that he he has a very classic, uh, tragic from soft arc where you mm-hmm. know you meet him, you're just amazed that there's like a werewolf who's friendly first and foremost, uh, and then he keeps popping up and is sort of like your rival. Then it becomes like kind of your, you know, your brother in arms under like Ronnie's banner, and then learning that he's essentially like a sleeper agent of the Two Fingers, where if Ronnie ever decides to like go against the will, the greater will he'll snap and turn on her. Yeah. Um, it's really, really sad, but beautiful that when that does happen, he's still loyal to her. Like he yeah. loses his mind, but you see what I finished her quest. And then I went back to her tower and there's like, you know, dialogue that can play out. But yeah. when you go back first, you hear blind outside saying like, I'd never, I would, I would never turn against her. Yeah. And you see a bunch of bodies of what I think are the assassins. And he's just like camped out in the front and he'll attack you yeah. and you have to fight him. And it's sad, but like I, I, I wore his honor, uh, his honor. I wore his armor in honor of him after beating him. Cause I just, I loved that little arc so much that yeah. like he, I think his armor says something that like he was so loyal. He denied destiny, which I think is like a really fun phrase for him. Oh yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Blyde is really good, man. It's yeah. Kind of hard to beat Blyde. I'm just looking at the list of all the NPCs, and like, I have such strong feelings about all of these people. <laughs> They're all. I mean, I love Hugh and Rodrika as well. Like, he's that... amazing. I loved uh, E.G. the blacksmith. Yeah, E.G. Um, was great. I mean, so great. Uh, did you did you meet Bach the seamster? No, that's who I was mentioning. The like creature that makes like boiled shellfish or something. Yeah yeah um there there are a couple npcs that i like never figured out entirely um, yeah there, there's a, a guy named the beast clergyman who wants you to feed him like poisoned mushrooms like rotten mushrooms uh i never figured out what was up with him um i never found fia again after she left the round table and i was really curious what was going on with that brother corhan for me just like hung out and then left and then i found his like body later like, oh really yeah. yeah i found he, like his he's the there. he's the uh frenzied flame guy if you push his quest, that's how you that's how you get the. Oh, I thought he ending. was Gold Mask. I thought he was friends with Gold Mask. I think those are related. Oh, are they? Yeah, gotcha. I, I, maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, the the Gideon Offnir stuff also was pretty rough. Uh, honestly, I think I think one of my favorite stories of all. Um, I don't know if you experienced this one in Volcano Manor, but uh, Raya, the the girl who's in the Round Table Hold and then moves to Volcano Manor. Oh, is that who the guy's looking for in the very beginning? He's like looking for his ward or something. No, no, no. She's like, she's in Volcano Manor. When, uh, sorry, she's in Roundtable Hold when you first get there and then eventually oh. leaves. Um, and she's, sorry, she's in Roundtable Hold when you first get there and then leaves to go to Volcano Manor. Gotcha. And then when you're in Volcano Manor, she's the one who's standing next to the fireplace with the guy. And she's who, like, oh, it's like get, the scout for them. Yes. Who like gives you the orders to go kill people. Um, she has a whole quest line that is fascinating. Wow. Uh, and really sad uh also kind of hopeful in a way uh depending on how it ends uh i i had it end in a way that like was kind of nice um but it gets really rough um i i think i'm just i'm thinking of like people that i should tell you about for new game plus and i'm kind of <laughs> looking at this list again like oh I'm, I'm curious about this uh like did you ever meet latena she's the one who's like at the little shack with her big wolf who's dying no oh man like there's so much good shit. The Great Jar. Did you meet the Great Jar? I did not meet the Great Jar. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I missed so out. Many good ones. I don't think you missed out. I mean, I'm looking at this list and I missed out on like ten of these people. Yeah. I, I just learned that uh, 
that D has a twin. Yeah, the beholder of the dead, who's also named D. Yeah, miss that entirely. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, Roger gives you a letter that's like, I know where D's brother is. This is where the gargoyles are. I never fought the gargoyles. Uh... How did I miss this? <laughs> that's the thing. There's, this, there's so much to discover. But yeah, in terms, I mean, if I had to choose one, I'd say Blyde, but I think I'm with you. Like The whole Ronnie ensemble is, is amazing. Yeah. And I think... What I like is that no matter how you play, like the game gives you Rodrika and Hugh as like a guarantee, or it's like you're yeah. gonna see that tragic but hopeful pair throughout the whole game. Yeah. The line where Hugh is like, "You've always been a lord to him," like really broke my heart. Mm, yeah. And the fact that he for so his story is essentially he's a prisoner of the Round Table Hold, and as the game progresses, like when you light the air tree on fire, the Round Table Hold is also on fire, which I really loved. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a lot of Bloodborne, where the hunter's dream eventually is like yes. all fucked up. But uh, like at a certain point, like everyone is either missing or dead, mm-hmm. except for Rodrika and Hugh. Right. And Rodrika's like, "Can you tell Hugh to just leave? Like, I don't want him. Like, he's no longer a prisoner. Yeah. Whatever the debt he has to this place is gone. Um, and he's so set on playing his role. And like, it's 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 there's a lot of layers to it. One is sort of like he's given up and doesn't care. And he's like, what life would I find outside of here? Mm. The other is that he's like, I actually do believe in you and I want you to be the Lord. And I'm going to yes. fulfill my part of that. I'm going to make you a God slaying weapon. Um, but eventually he forgets who he is. Yeah. And Rodrika chooses to stay with him to honor his original request, which is like so fucking sad because yeah. you don't see it, but essentially it's, it's understood that they just burn there. Like they, they burn away with that place. Right. Um, which sucks, but you know, it's that, that arc is so tragic and beautiful and I really loved their, their relationship as well. Yeah. Um, (laughs) breaking my heart. Um, I'm going to move on unless you have any other NPCs. Uh, No, I could just go down the list and talk about why I like all of them. That episode, we'll we'll get to that. Double the episode length. Yeah. Um, Okay, at Witty Horror on Twitter, Elden Ring really encourages going somewhere new and leveling up when you run into a wall. Are there any bosses or areas you kept stubbornly trying anyway? I refuse to give up on the first Crucible Night and the Storm Hill Everjail, and it cost me hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that Malaketh and the Elden Beast are two bosses that I just like needed to beat, and I didn't want to go back and like explore. I just like needed to do it, mm. especially the Elden Beast. Um, what really ended up helping was eventually I went back and I actually found material that helped me upgrade my mimic tier to like plus nine. Yeah. Um, but ultimately that didn't really, that wasn't the determining factor. I I still beat like by the time the Elden Beast fight was over, my mimic tier had been dead for like 20 minutes. (laughs) So Elden Beast is really just getting a rhythm of their attacks and being patient because it just takes so long. Right. But there are a couple of attacks where I just need to learn like, how do I, how do I survive this? And how do I enter this fight with enough flasks to survive it? Mm. Um, So that, that was the one I just refused to not keep trying. Yeah. There's a uh, in our uh, on our YouTube channel. There's like a three hour video. Maybe it's not three hours, but it sure felt like it of me trying to beat the first draconic tree sentinel. Mm. 
before you get into Lindell, which like for some reason was the hardest boss in the game for me. It's not even a boss. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I, just, it's like, I just had such a hard time against that thing. Uh, man, that really that really drove me up a wall. That's the thing. It's like there are bosses that I think you could definitely say like this is one of the hardest bosses in the game, but it really depends on your build and what level you are when you get there and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a, so. there's one fight against three crystallians at once. That's like actually fucked up. Like there's no, <laughs> like you shouldn't, that shouldn't be in the video game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next question. Yeah. Jason and discord. How do you think Elden ring would be impacted by tunics accessibility features specifically in vulnerability and unlimited stamina? I think very similar to what I said about those features in tunic that I'm not, I'm not playing Tunic specifically for the combat and for the difficulty of the game. I'm there more for the discovery and the exhilarating feeling of like unlocking a puzzle. The tentpole feature of Elden Ring is player discovery and player agency. The combat is incredible. Don't get me wrong. I think it's amazing. But adding the ability to be invulnerable doesn't take away from what the game is doing best, which is the ability to see things that make you gasp. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the classic example I always point to is Celeste, which is a game that's known for its difficulty. Mm-hmm. That's all like literally just overcoming a challenge. Yeah. But it allows you to have like infinite dashes if you just want to like skip a certain part of it. And yeah. that way you're given the ability to see the core game. And then if you want to do all the hidden challenges and B-sides like that exists for you and the option doesn't take away from that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. And oh, <laughs> follow up from Jason. How can you ever play any video game ever again when Elden Ring has revealed them all to be baby games for children? It's pretty tough. It's um, tough. The, the answer is play baby games for children. Uh, so I've been playing uh, P- Pajama Sam <laughs> Nanny to Heaven Stark Outside on Nintendo Switch. And uh, it's been great. It's the only game that's brought me any joy since Elden Ring. Yeah, destroy the veneer. Just actually play Pajama Sam is yeah. my answer too. Where's okay. Putt-Putt going next? You know, that's the big question <laughs> on everybody's mind. Is it Lindell the Royal Capital or is it the zoo? Uh, at Mr. The Human on Twitter. What things did you look up and what parts did you manage to accomplish quest lines, hidden areas, etc., going completely blind? Did you feel this added to your experience or did looking up feel like you got to do what you wanted? It's a great question. And I think it really is both. I think that there are my overall take is like finding the beginnings of quests, like finding a character organically in the environment is always thrilling and always worth it. And it's so much more powerful that it's not announced wanting to progress that quest when a character will say, meet me in the West. (laughs) (laughs) I think the NPC tracker has helped a little bit, but it's still like, like I checked in with brother Corhin a lot. I wanted to see where his story went. Me too. And he just bailed and then died. And then I looked up how to do his story you need a certain number of intelligence to solve a riddle at one point. It's like, oh. I would never know this ever. I would never know how to do this. And like, I do like that it aids discovery on repeated playthroughs, but I, I, I didn't feel bad looking up guides for side quests because I think the whole game is built around the idea of other people literally giving you advice via the notes. Right. And I, I see guides as an extension of that quite literally where it's yeah. like, here's how to do it i don't think it really took away i i tried to do as much as i could on my own and i'm amazed like you that i stumbled across the coffin that took me into the hidden area where you fight estelle natural born of the void yeah um 
But like what I needed the guide for was when like I would stumble across that area. But then right after is a locked door that needed a key that was somewhere I'd already been like that stuff I needed a guide for. And I didn't feel bad looking. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest lie told on the Internet is that nobody's using a guide and nobody's using the, the mimic tier <laughs> and nobody's using Moonvale and like nobody's using this broken shit that is like, you know, going extremely viral on Twitter and TikTok and YouTube and stuff like everybody's doing that stuff. And yeah. I think I think the more open people are about it, the the more like accepting the community will be and, and the less gatekeepy, because like I imagine yeah. even the most gatekeepy people are using Moonvale. If I were to guess that having been said, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are a bunch of quests that I, I needed to look up the next step for uh, Hayeda. Do you know Hayeda? No, um, she's the person who's trying to be a maiden who's eating the shibiri berries. Oh, yes. Or I the shibiri grapes. Yeah, because yeah. um, she was always in areas that I like that. This is before they added the NPC tracker, to be clear, before they patched that in. Um, she was always in areas that like kind of made sense. And then there's one of the last areas that she goes to was like so weird and obtuse. It was like by a grace point, but just out of sight. So like, I kind of thought I knew where she was going to be and then she wasn't there. And it turned out I needed to like walk through the woods for 45 seconds and then turn a corner. And then she was there. Um, (laughs) which like just drove me up a wall. So like things like that every once in a while is like, I know what I need to do. I just don't know where the fuck this NPC went. Like, I, I think I have an idea of where they are and I keep looking around. I can't find it. So that kind of stuff. Generally, yeah. I would look up. Also, every once in a while, uh, if I was up against a boss, like in a cave somewhere, I would like look up. What is the reward for this? Is this worth it? And if not, I would, I would just split. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page. Yeah. Um, I also like I, and this goes back to what I've been saying in pretty much every segment we've done about Elden Ring on the show so far. But again, just to reiterate, it's why I like picking up these games at launch because like people are discovering things and like I'm seeing tweets about like, oh, there's a really cool talisman in this place that you might have missed. Like that kind of stuff. I don't really consider that looking it up. I just consider that like you were saying an extension of the notes, right? Like, um, yeah. What is it? Radigan Sorceal is uh, in this place that's I I think called Dragon Barrow in, in Kaled. I had like cleared out that entire castle and missed that talisman which ended up being like the talisman that I had equipped at all times until the end of the game. It boosts all your stats, but also makes it so you take more damage. But yeah, like, I love that talisman. Love yeah. that shit. That's, that's how I played hollow Knight too. Like, uh, cause hollow Knight has, has these crests that you can apply and, and yeah, there's a couple idea. that do similar things. Um, and as soon as I got that, I was like, Oh man, hell yeah. I'm back in my hollow Knight vibe. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I saw the tweet that mentioned that that was there, you know, like I don't, that wasn't yeah. a spoiler to me that made my game experience better. Yeah, totally. I'm on the same page. Um, At Alana. Hi, Alana. What builds are you guys excited to try out? I'm probably only 40 hours in and already mapping out which types I'm interested in using on the next go round. Hell yeah. Same. I think strength faith is like, I mean, that's sort of the opposite of what I did the first time. Yeah. But I think like being like just some dude with like a giant broken part of a statue who can summon dragons sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I also wouldn't mind going like full magic. Cause I feel like I started my, my class was the bandit. Um, and I, I began investing largely in dexterity and I think, I feel like endurance and vigor are kind of like, no matter what you're playing, like you want to have points in those in some capacity. Um, yeah, that's, I think the biggest mistake I've been seeing a lot of people making about this game is not investing points in vigor. Like, yeah, I take it from me. My mentality with these games is the more points you invest in vigor, the more you're telling the game, I'm expecting to get hit a lot. 
you know and like oh maybe the game is more about learning the boss patterns than getting hit and like making sure you can tank a blow but like there are fights like melania for example where having a whole bunch of vigor is going to be the only reason you survive and win at all um, do, do not <laughs> yes. do not avoid investing points in health it is crucial for survival to to not do so is literally hubris my my test was like am i am i being one shot by the weird like quick elbow from a boss like that's not supposed to be a i killed you attack yes like, <laughs> then i need to upgrade my health yes exactly um, and there are thankfully i used the talisman that that significantly upgraded my health as well so i had yeah by the end i was able to take two hits from the elden beast um mm. and he, that's saying a lot because i had a decent amount of points in in vigor the fact that i could only take two hits in the final boss that's a lot um <laughs> uh so th- i guess to answer that question i was yeah, I was, yeah. uh dex in on my first run my move right so i i like you alana was also immediately planning builds and my two thoughts that i've had so far have been go like full strength big sword all vigor, yeah. all endurance, like really just go all in on that or alternatively focus way more on magic. So what I'm doing right now is I'm using the wing of Astal, which uh, is another dex in weapon just because those are my stats when I went into new game plus um, and uh, is a great sword, which I really love the great swords in this game. I think they feel really cool. Um, and I just I ended up giving up my great sword for Moonvale because Moonvale was so cool as well. Um, so I'm like back using a great sword. It scales with the stuff that I already have, but I'm kind of like feeling out if I want to go strength faith, like you were saying, or if I want to do like strength int and like see if that can work at all. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in like a big experimentation phase. I have very light armor right now and just my one cool like wing of a spectral dragonfly that I'm using as a sword and uh, <laughs> having a great time so far. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I also with the bandits they start with fourteen arcane, which I feel like I found items constantly, so I never felt the need to upgrade arcane. Wow! But I I did find a number of really interesting arcane weapons. So, you know, I think for new game plus, I'll probably just continue building on what I already have established. So, like, you know, I'm pretty well rounded. The only thing I I really didn't do anything in was faith in arcane. Um, so if I make a new character like separate from new game plus. I think I'll go in a very different direction with them mm. um, eventually yeah. over time. At Noah Hertz, how did you guys approach Spirit Ashes and NPC player summons for boss battles? Did you bring in other players for key boss fights? If you did use them, which of the Spirit Ashes do you like? Um, I only ever summoned... Well, I summoned you for Renala after you graciously offered. Yeah. And we won and it was triumphant and great. Um I did summon people a couple times for I had a couple people help me in the last fight, but we weren't able to do it together. And I I did it by myself eventually. Um, It was always really fun. I think that's something I'll probably do way more in New Game Plus is like co-op and help other people. Yeah. Um, And uh, in terms of the spirit ashes, I was very loyal to the three dogs for like (laughs) the first third of my playthrough. And then when I found the mimic tier. That was kind of it. I, I used the is a game changer. Yeah, yeah. I also found two other. They're considered special summons. I found the uh, Black Knife Assassin, which was really good. Yeah, and I also found these creepy puppets that uh, Celavus left behind. Mm. Um, that I never used. I didn't have the mind stat for it. But um, yeah, 
That's the one thing. In New Game Plus, I'm going to upgrade my mind because I have really high intelligence, but I have like no mana at all. Oh, really? Because all I really used it for was I, ha- I used the Dark Moon Greatsword for most of the end game, and you can charge that up and shoot like beams out of it. Yeah, so I really so just cool. use my mana for that. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I um I ended up summoning a couple times throughout the game and every time I summoned I didn't win in that boss fight uh so I I think I did it like maybe three times and then after the third time of like it not working out um I was like I just got to do this by myself um that having been said the the spirit ashes I really really loved um some of my favorite ones mimic tier obviously was great um Chris Plant came on the show and talked a lot about Lutel the headless uh, Lutel the headless uh yes is amazing i leveled them up almost all the way um i was using the dogs for a while and then got the raya lucaria soldier ashes and Mm, yes i feel i i don't i haven't talked to anybody else who's been using that one um but i do feel like they're extremely underrated in that they have the same kind of like chaos causing energy of the dogs because there's three of them just like the dogs yeah um but one of them is an archer, one of them is a mage, and one of them is like a sword and board, just like knight. Um, so you're really getting like the best of all worlds with them, uh, especially when you level them up a lot and they have a lot of health. It's they're super helpful because they they really will draw attack like all over the place because all three of them are doing different things. Really big fan of that one. I, I would definitely recommend at least checking it out if you haven't. Yeah, I feel like the dogs I, I was able to find help in until the spectral Godfrey where he does that one shockwave and I saw all their health just go to zero. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's time for an upgrade. Um, did you get the soul yeah. jars of fortune? No, I didn't. They're, uh, the little like pot guys like Alexander, uh, but they, yeah, but yeah. they just like run and blow up. Now <laughs> <laughs> is our shot. Book I it. couldn't believe when they showed up and they were called the soul jars of fortune. I was like, <laughs> I was so upset that they put an actual, just like joke in the video game. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, I did also, there were some NPC summons. I, I summoned someone for the Godskin duo fight that I don't know what their relation to the game is, but there's a character you can summon there that helps you out. Oh, really? Yeah. I forgot what they're called, but like, I, that's the only reason I got through that fight was like, I summoned my mimic tier. That fight and, was brutal. Yeah. And a character, uh, maybe it was something I unlocked or, or something. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I did not see a summon side for that. Thankfully, it wasn't too bad with, you know, two people helping me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, next question from Rufus in Discord. Uh, you talked about how your perfect game lies somewhere between Elden Ring and Breath of the Wilds. Mm. What are the things you'd think you'd take from either game to find that sweet spot? Um, the big thing that's missing from Elden Ring that I think would make it a perfect video game for me is the feeling of calm and the ability to chill the fuck out ever um elden ring is hostile at all times and my favorite moments of breath of the wild are i mean i I talk about tarrytown literally at every given opportunity but um the the energy that tarrytown elicits as you're building it up the ability to go there hear that music hang out talk to npcs see how they're doing um and just like feel like you have like a peaceful place to rest um is not a feeling that i have an Elden Ring that you you get it in spurts in like sites of grace just the fact that it's a place where you can go and chill out at all yeah um but it it's not like sitting at a site of grace does not feel like I have a a sense of like restful uh restful peace you know 
Yeah, it's more just a temporary pause. Yeah. Um, um, a, a game that's like, yes, the world is dangerous, but there are pockets of people like hanging out and trying to survive and like being cool and good to one another. Like that's the energy that I want. Yeah. I mean, you do get that a little bit with the round table and with Ronnie, but it's also tragic. Like any, any ember of that is put that out. Is so sad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say I would add just the ability to climb stuff, I think would be cool. I <laughs> yeah, mean, Miyazaki has cited Shadow of the Colossus as an influence and like, how cool would it be to jump off Torrent and like climb one of the giants? I mean, like Dragon's Dogma, you like know? Dragon's Dogma. Yeah. Um, I think that would be cool. That also help with some of the platforming stuff where like, honestly, one of my biggest gripes is just fall damage is so hard to discern, like yeah. what I can fall on and what I can't. And like, the, the, the rainbow taunt. rocks are not a useful are not a useful way of dealing with that by the way like I, I i see people constantly talking about like how hard it is to discern the fall damages and they're like oh just use the rainbow rocks it's like i'm not gonna equip the rainbow rocks my hot bar and craft them all the time anytime i'm thinking about jumping off of something when it's so easy to just spawn and go get my runes and go somewhere else you yeah know? and i think like i liked using the soft cotton and there's a talisman that lets you um not take fall damage but it's kind of a misleading thing because you still you don't take fall damage but you'll still die if it's too far so i'm like i can count on one hand how many times i've taken fall damage and not died yeah so like it isn't really that that whole part of it's kind of strange yeah that's all there's also a bit in uh dark souls 2 that's exactly the same way there's a ring that you get (laughs) that does the same thing uh, moving on, Ben in Discord. We're in the final stretch, although there's one question here that I think might take a while, but it'll be fun. Ben in Discord, you've been handed the keys to gaming franchise to build the discovery-focused, combat-heavy, single-realm adventure RPG. What gaming franchise do you take on, and what is oh. the inciting event? Oh, this is exciting. Yeah, right? I love gaming franchise. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have an answer already? My heart is telling me Mass Effect. I think having like a discovery based game in space where you can explore um, plus like I mean, I'm not necessarily thinking like a combat heavy game would be good there. But like I like the idea of of exploring the galaxy and that state of the world, maybe like post, you know, what the Reapers do in that trilogy and seeing mm-hmm. what happens. That could be Here's an interesting cool. question. What if it was like alongside that? maybe mm. uh or like took place in like the andromeda galaxy uh <laughs> would you be interested in a game like that out of curiosity i'm just saying like maybe it's like hundreds of years separate from the milky way galaxy and like maybe there uh-huh. are like puzzles and places you discover and yeah. sometimes when you go back to the ship there's three of the same person striking different poses uh you know would you be into that um yeah i i I definitely get where you're coming from with mass effect i don't know why this popped into my head but watchdogs was the first thing that popped into my head oh okay i don't know why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah um i like i don't know i like the idea of an open world game set in like an actual city or place that is real uh that also somehow elicits the same energy of discovery i think that'd be very fun i don't know how that would be possible but uh i would like something like that on that topic i would love like another go speaking of bioware like another go at a dragon age 2 type setting where Mm -hmm. like that game was all largely about like one city over a long period of time and i wonder if discovery could be applied to like an isolated location over a vast open world like get a more micro view of something over time versus you know just a, a long stretching world I would be interested in um, like a turn, ba- like almost like a Dragon Quest kind of thing, 
like what what does an open world turn based JRPG look like in that way? You know, where where the the combat heavy side of it is actually just like turn based combat. Um, yeah, I think that'd be very interesting. Um, yeah, totally. And, and that having been said, like Pokemon would also be a great answer for oh, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, Brendan. So there are two questions here that I think might be fun but challenging to do in tandem. Uh, one is from TK again. Uh, which Elden Ring NPCs are Jellical? And the other one is from Zesby. What's the star sign of every NPC? So I'm thinking we maybe go down the list, gut check Jellical or not. And yes. I, I know I have a little bit more astrology knowledge, so I can take on the burden of saying who is what star sign but i i invite you to chime in if you think i'm wildly off base i appreciate that and i i i will let you take that off of my plate it's very, <laughs> it's very nice i'm going to delegate that task to you <laughs> okay cool yeah okay so jellical and, and star sign and uh again i think <laughs> i feel like there's there's not a bonus that goes by where we're not asked the Jellicle question. I really don't want to overdo it, but it is also always fun. So I feel like in this case, <laughs> that's kind of the thing is, it, yeah, it's never not been fun. It's just like, uh, you, you've said before, uh, that you don't want it to be our bazinga. Uh, yeah. but you know, I have a good time doing it. So whatever. Absolutely. Okay. So I have a list of NPCs here. I put an asterisk next to the ones that I know well, but based on our conversation, I feel like we have we might have a different collection here. Yes. So I'm going to go through everyone and we're just <laughs> going to make it happen. If I don't know them, I'm just going to pass and you can take it up. If, if neither of us know them, we'll just have to pass. I think I think that'll be fun because I think it'll be interesting to see how many of these people we have actually no idea what their vibe is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Having played okay. 100 hours of the game. Yeah, right. 100 <laughs> hours later. I don't know their star sign. Come on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> kicking it off merchant kale uh maybe and likely one of the first npcs you'll meet um i would say merchant kale is jellical and i would say that merchant kale is a libra um i get sort of a chill vibe from merchant kale i think they want to exist peacefully in the environment mm -hmm. they want to coexist within the lands between they want to help you where they can, but they're, they're not like inviting themselves into your life. Like as long as you don't mess with them, they're chill with you and they're there to provide a service. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Jellical just based on the Santa garb <laughs> by, by itself. I mean that, that by itself tells me everything I need to know about merchant Kali. I was actually disappointed when I met other merchants and they weren't also dressed exactly like Santa Claus. I, I understand that they all have like different color schemes going on, but like yeah. the first one being Santa adjacent is like really starting on such a high note that it's hard to it's hard to meet that expectation going yeah, forward. Yeah, Kale is the, is the merchant. I think, yeah, he's the I, only I one I with agree. a name. And well, I love I love meeting the other merchants. I like how they all have a personality trait. They're like almost allegorical. Like here's the yes. the mean one. Here's the one that like isn't confident in his wares. Um, <laughs> But Merchant Kyle is the one, is Jellicle, and I would say is a Libra, the balance. Wow. We're doing it. We're doing uh, it. Moving on to Sorceress Selene. Uh, I would say my gut instinct is Jellicle, but I'm willing to re-examine that potentially. And for Star Sign, <laughs> I would say Scorpio, because I think that she has an intensity to her. I think she can see through things. She's a rebel. 
she is banished from the academy for reasons that I don't think either of us know. So, <laughs> but I think she's got like a very confident demeanor, and she's willing to help you if if you meet her expectations, which I think is cool. Yeah, so, that's uh, my take. Yeah, I I I I would say she's not very jellical. Um, she seems uh for someone who got kicked out of an academy that seems to be evil she sure does seem very by the books which makes me wonder is the academy so evil that her mm. being very normal is the reason she got kicked out yeah uh, she just like she's, too, she's boring yeah she's just like too she specifically boring. got kicked out because she wasn't jellical actually it's the problem i love that as canon yeah she got kicked out for not being jellical enough that's yeah. perfect so sorcerer selen not jellical scorpio um, moving on to Hugh, mm. uh, our, our beloved Hugh. I would say Hugh is not jellical. Mm. Um, I think he's got a fun presence, but I don't get Cat's 2019 energy from the sad draconic blacksmith. No, me either. <laughs> um, in terms of star sign, I would say definitely an earth sign. I think he might be a Capricorn for his methodic ambition his craftsmanship and his ability to um, want to provide a service to the hero in a way that is material. Mm. So that's my, that's my placement in the cosmos for Hugh. Yeah. Uh, definitely not Jellicle though. <laughs> Sorry, so far Hugh. only Merchant Collie. Okay. Moving on. Rodrika. I would say Rodrika is Jellicle. I think that she has a very mm. uh, theatrical presence. I think that she, oh, maybe not theatrical, but like, fall drama presence uh yeah you know? i get that totally and i think that her connection to the strange ash spirits feels like it's <laughs> it is tied to the weird cat's mythos of reincarnation um so i'm not like sold on it but i'm gonna say jellical for now and i'm gonna say for star sign i would say she's a cancer for her deep connection to others her her care for them and worry and concern and her loyalty to those she cares about. Hmm. Interesting. I would not put Rodrika in the Jellicle column immediately. Here's the thing. Mm. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that she's Jellicle if we can agree that she will probably, unfortunately, never be the Jellicle choice. <laughs> she's the memory cat. She just, yes. <laughs> but like in an alternate ending where it's, <laughs> it's not her. <laughs> Sorry to spoil cats. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, you know what you're getting into here. We're in the spoiler section. Yeah, yeah. When For we cats say spoilers, and Elden Ring. It, it, it covers cats automatically. It covers everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I will accept that bargain. She's jellical, but she'll never be. She'll never ascend. I'm so sorry, um, Rodrigo. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay, come up next is is uh, Enia, the Remembrance Reader by the Two Fingers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the most jellical. <laughs> like, you don't get more ge- you don't get more jellical than hiding behind a locked door that's only revealed after you <laughs> killed two demigods and the only person that you share the room with is actually two severed fingers of a god. And she literally gives you power through memory. Yes. Like literally it's oh in the Oh my god. Song. Yes. Yeah, remembrance. Uh okay, so uh Ania also, is the jellical. fact that she can do her job after she's dead. <laughs> yeah, right. She she's, just lies she's there dead and, and lying can, on the bench, and you, you can, can still. Be still... Like, hey, can I get that cool sword from Goblin, please? <laughs> Extremely jellical energy. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't. Some of these characters, I'm like, is there even a planet that can sum up the vibe here? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> 
so the thing, Ania is so sworn to her oath. She's she's essentially like the she. I feel like she speaks on behalf of the two fingers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there's a deep connection to like God <laughs> and like the the unknown. Yes, I want to say she is an Aquarius because she has like a very weird energy. She's connected to an outer God that no one really understands. She's also very independent. She's literally behind a locked door by herself. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give Aquarius to Ania. Yeah. This, this uh, chart that I'm looking at here, I got three words per Zodiac sign. Aquarius is innovative, admired and eccentric. And I would say that on all fronts, <laughs> innovative. I've never met anybody else who hangs out with two giant severed fingers that are also maybe magical. Uh, admired absolutely i mean can yeah. you hear the tone of voice that i'm delivering this with uh, and eccentric again see my first point about the fingers <laughs> and can give you a weird sword when she is passed on yes um thanks ania next up is thops <laughs> oh my god okay, did you meet so thops i did meet thops he's kind of like a sad man who's hunched over in a, a church mm-hmm. and he's like hey have you met Selene? Yeah. Also, if you have a key, can you give it to me? Because I want to go back to the academy. Um, and he says, like, he sucks at magic and he and all his spells suck. And that's, like, all I really got I from suck, him. I suck. I suck. I'm yeah, so shitty. So there's, like, zero confidence. So I would say, like, there's so little. I, I, I might. There may be few characters here that are less jellical than Thops. I'm going to say that right <laughs> off the bat. In terms of star sign, I oh, would say, uh, God, I feel like it's an insult, whatever I say here. <laughs> um, hmm. This is very hard. Okay, I can give it, uh, I can, yeah, I can give, give it a, it shot. a, a run. Uh, I'm just looking, again, I'm looking at this chart. It's got three phrases for each of these signs here. Uh, Virgo is successful, creative, and clever. Sorry. Not <laughs> Sorry, Thops. Capricorn, it. hardworking, straightforward, and stubborn, I mm. think is maybe a little bit on brand for Thops. Um, I like Thops as a Capricorn, and we, we're not directly insulting Caps because we've already given Hugh the Capricorn role, and that's, yeah. a, that's a huge compliment. I, I don't see great. it as an insult at all. I, I, I think that that just ha- happens to also describe Thops's whole shit. Yeah. There are multiple shades to every sign, you know? Yeah, it's not all encompassing. So Thops, not Jellicle Capricorn. Uh, moving on to Muriel, Pastor of Vows, a.k.a. the Turtle Pope. Uh, this is a talking turtle with a pope's hat. Um, I mean... <laughs> Don't just, okay, well, who's next? <laughs> you do, we already need, know. do we even need to say it? Yeah, yeah, who's... Okay, uh, EG is next. Um, EG, I would say... This is another difficult one, because I think sometimes the designs of these characters feels jellical mm. but the actual behavior and personality maybe isn't each yeah. is a pretty like i feel like he's the sort of like brains of the of the ronnie group like, or he's at least the planner I yes. feel like he's very like literally by the book he's always reading a book um <laughs> so i think that um hmm I, I'm going to give EG Gemini because I like his sort of thirst for knowledge and his kind of by the book attitude. I think he's genuinely curious. I think he's got multiple sides to him where I think he's often able to make decisions that he doesn't think like he doesn't enjoy making, but he thinks this make the most sense based on the information he's received. Mm. I think he has that kind of analytical edge that I would associate Gemini with. 
Um, and I would say I think he's Jellicle. I think he's I think the Ronnie group overall like can't not be Jellicle by association. I agree. I I would also say that EG is Jellicle. There's so, there's something about him, something about his energy that makes me feel like he would fit in with the other Jellicle people that we've chosen here. Um, yeah, I feel like they would all respect him. You know, he's like he's been Jellicle for a long time. Uh, he's he's figured out a way to make Jellicle like an understated part of his personality. You know? <laughs> um, and also just on on the on the uh, Gemini side, it makes a lot of sense. I, I now understand why I relate to EG as much as I do. I love it. Uh, next up is Rajier, uh, the spell blade uh, guy you meet who then just like slowly dies in the round table. <sighs> Don't really know what to make of this guy. Yeah, what what an interesting energy because you first meet him in Stormvale and in, in like the chapel in Stormvale, and he teaches yeah. you like Glenstone Pebble and stuff. Uh, you know, he he's got a huge hat. Yes, uh, the 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 yellow and green uh thing that he's wearing feels very jellical. Um, and then yeah, and then and then you know it kind of it kind of peters out there. Um, I do know that there is a quest line for Rogier, and I don't I don't know what's up with that, and that's that's the reason why I'm so on the fence about this because I wonder if there is like a jellicality like hiding beneath the surface there. You know, I was say, why don't we give ourselves unless you think this is copying out? Why don't we give ourselves the option of need more information if we like can't make? A, I do think like, I need more information about yeah. Rogier. Yeah. I think need more information. That will also help us get through this a little faster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up, we got Bach the Seamster. I didn't Jellical. meet them. The most yeah. Jellical. Oh, my God. So, wait, you didn't meet Bach. I didn't meet Bach, no. Bach, when you first meet him, is uh, pretending to be a tree. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. And then you knock him out, and he's like, hello, can I, can I mend your garments? And, uh, you know, just great, great, great That's energy. Amazing. I mean, as Jellical as it gets, uh, you continue... Uh, to uh, hand him different sewing needles as you find them. He collects sewing needles. Um, he's great. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable character. And based on the information you have, what, what star sign would you say? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, hmm. Very faithful, which makes me think maybe a Leo. Mm. Um, let's see. Let's see. You know, I'm actually going to go with Cancer because Cancer is listed here as sensitive, friend-oriented, and practical. Um, Bach adopting the the role of seamster uh, feels very practical, friend oriented. He's he is loyal, which you know makes me think like, oh, is that a Leo? But no, no, it's also part of this cancer lineup. Apparently, uh, he's very sensitive. That's why he's hi- he's hiding. He's pretending to be a tree. He's surrounded by enemies. He's a little freaked out by the world, which is understandable. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go with cancer. Hell yeah, I love that for Bach. Moving on to D, Hunter of the Dead. Oh, um, so this is hard. Another hard, uh, whether they're jellical. I'm going to say not jellical because yeah, I would agree. I think he's hunting those who are jellical. <laughs> uh, and I would say Gemini given the twin imagery. Oh yeah. You know, he's got the twin armor. He has the twin brother. There's a lot of duality with D. Absolutely. Um, wow. That was we'll an easy move- one. Yeah. That was an easy one. Brother Corhan. This is maybe I need more information <laughs> for me. Cause all I saw him do was die. So. <laughs> I need more information. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. Uh, Gurank Beast Clergyman. <laughs> Every now and then it hits me what we're doing. I'm like, oh, this isn't a dream. Uh, Gurank Beast Clergyman. I'm going to say Jellicle, but I, I, they've only grunted at me, and I'm not going to insult any sign with that. Like, 
you know, you're one who grunts and asks for poisonous mushrooms. <laughs> Uh, I, I do like uh, <laughs> that Garonk wants his poison mushroom so badly that he gives you the beast eye. And then when you start to enter areas that have the poison mushrooms around, the little pop up shows up that says the beast eye quivers. It made me laugh every time. <laughs> uh, I got to know what's up with Garonk. I got I got to know how, how that ends, if at all. Here's a big one. Yeah. Melina. Um, I'm going to say... Oh. I'm getting also Scorpio vibes from Elena. I think she has that kind of mystery to her. Mm. I think she also has like her own independent sense of justice and she's willing to do things that are kind of seen as a sin for the greater good. But I think she ultimately like has the world's interest at heart. And I think, I think she's jellical just based on how she appears. It's a very mm. jellical entrance. Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say Jellicle. She's got that understated Jellicle energy, you know, yeah. it's like there are people who, you know, when they're in a room, everyone wants to know who they are. And I feel like that would be Melina, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, here's probably another easy one. Iron Fist Alexander. Oh my God. <laughs> Is this another one we just don't even say? <laughs> Hit me in the rump. It's yeah. Like, come on. Jellicle. And I'm going to give... Iron Fist Alexander Leo. I think he has that kind of showmanship. He's oh, very confident, yeah. loves the spotlight, loves telling a tale. Absolutely. Fire sign energy from Alexander. Uh, here's another fun one. Vare. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it seems you're maidenless. Yeah. Vare yeah. is like the narrator. <laughs> you yeah. know, like Vare, Vare is telling you the tale of cats. What's weird is if you fast forward the cat's VHS, it's actually like Varek slowly walks up to the camera and just reads you the plot. Um, in terms of what sign Vare is, I think um, I know we I've, we've often inadvertently insulted Virgos on this show, but I'm getting Virgo energy. And I'm not sure why. What are the what are the words for Virgo on that? website? What are the words for Virgo? Successful, creative and clever. I mean, that's Vare. And uh, as I, I know you didn't get there, but especially when you start pushing his quest line further, uh, <laughs> I would say he's very successful at his job. <laughs> Amazing. We figured him out. Uh, oh, another big one. Ronnie the witch. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, God. Jellicle for sure. Um, and She's I would Judy say Dench. she's Judy Dench. In she is Judy Dench. Yeah. When Ronnie walks into the lens between all the cats, take a quick bow. Yeah. And sing about her arrival. Yes, she is the one who's turning to camera. And <laughs> she, oh, ew! I hate how similar her ending is with the ending of cats. <laughs> Let it be known, I'm bringing an age of isolation, fear, and loneliness. <laughs> um, yeah, Jellicle for sure, and I'm going to say Pisces due to the. Cosmic connections to the moon, the poets of the zodiac, mm-hmm, the connection mm-hmm. to the surreal, right, and the unconscious. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Fia, deathbed companion. The deathbed companion. I don't. Th- I don't think she's very jellical. Yeah, I don't think so either. Kind of. I mean, she does have a gimmick and a theme, which <laughs> is, uh, is um, actually <laughs> okay. Wait a second. Yeah. I think uh, the fact that she's also like a murderer 
is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, a murderer who wants to give you a hug. Yeah, the you know the way everything pans out with D. I don't know if you, if that you you got that ending I did, with yeah, D, I did which is very that, unfortunate. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I I would say I would say she's jellical. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I'm struggling on what sign because again, some of these feels like an insult. <laughs> like, who's a murderer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe consult the the three word description there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, honestly, uh, sorry to Virgos, but I do feel like successful, <laughs> creative, and clever. She's very successful. Very yeah, another creative. Virgo. And very clever. Fia is a cool character. So, you know. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Um, Gemini, though, the list here, just to be clear, the, the list here, which I, I love for me, because this one is canonical. You're a fucking gamer. But it's Gemini is <laughs> likes games, many talents, and dynamic. I would, I would say Fia is all three of those things. Uh, she's playing games with people. She's got many talents in that she can be a deathbed companion and a murderer. And also, there's an element of dy- dynamism to being able to do those two things. Yeah. Do you think she's also a Gemini? Do you want to switch it? I'm going to say Gemini. Yeah, I like Gemini for Fia because I th- I have a feeling the next one might be Virgo. Uh-oh. Uh Kenneth Heights. <laughs> <laughs> Jellical choice, baby. Jell- he. Okay, can we say Kenneth Hite is the jellical choice? I would love, uh, yes, I would love nothing more. Especially, the- <laughs> there's nothing. His quest is unfinished. <laughs> the fact that his quest line wasn't even done when the game came out <laughs> just screams of the jellical yeah, choice to me. I have to find the Elden Lord. <laughs> the fact, he's the, the fact one. That- he's <laughs> the one. Choose him, Ronnie. Choose a Trinity Dutch. He has. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that he had two steps of a quest line that never finished, and you and I played a hundred hours in this game, and the first thing we wanted to do was start over so we could go talk to the guy named Kenneth in the middle of this George R. R. Martin Miyazaki fantasy All wonderland. Done is go help me, and we're like him. He's the one. He's the one. Oh my god, oh, Kenneth shit. Height, Jellical Virgo, the Jellical choice. Thank you, Kenneth. Patches. You know, yeah, I mean, you can't get more jellical than Patches, right? Yeah, I agree. Spa- space time warping entity. Ev- yeah. He's everywhere. I don't know. Did you. Okay, can I tell you what happens with Patches? Please do. Okay, you make your way to the end of a cave, just like most of the other caves that you went into. And at the end of the cave, instead of there being a boss, there's just a chest there. And you go to open the chest and Patches emerges from a dark, like little tunnel above you in like, like he's like uh, on like a precipice above where you are. And he comes out, and he goes, what do you think you're doing? And then comes down and then immediately tries to kill you and you hit him twice and he immediately starts cowering. He's like, please, please don't kill me. Spare my life. Spare my life. And uh, you, you can kill him if you want and then take his armor and take all of his stuff. Uh, or alternatively, you can not attack him. All you do is not attack him, uh, yeah. and he becomes a merchant, and he'll sell you stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, Does he great. show up at the round table or no? Not that I found. And he shows up again at Radon's fight? Yes. That's so funny. I love that. Yeah, it's great. Um, Man, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I might have to consult to you again for this three... I love how this website with three adjectives is more helpful than me in most of these cases. <laughs> if you don't mind <laughs> let the stars decide which sign pat- patches is oh 
man. Uh, Dynamic Many Talents Likes Games also feels very... Oh, and he also has that... He has a two sides to him. He can either be like friendly and pleading or he's kicking you down a hill. I I can be your angle or your devil. Um, (laughs) I, I feel like... I feel like Aquarius, innovative, admired, and eccentric, feels very Patches to me. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm, I'm into either Gemini or Aquarius for Patches. Yeah. Those both work. Cool. Okay, we're making our way through this. Uh, Gideon, the all-knowing. I'm going to say Ares. I think he has the leader quality to him. Mm. Um, I think he is kind of weirdly progressing through the game alongside you and is like, Hoping to work together, but won't be against trying to fight you. Mm. And uh, I think that, um, yeah, I, just the sort of leader of the round table vibe feels Ares-esque. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say not Jellicle, though. Even though he has a cool helmet, I think he's kind of like a grumpy guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm also going to say not Jellicle. I Man, wh- how sad was it when you had to fight him? That was really sad. That yeah, was I really sad. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nefeli, his daughter. Another person whose quest line went unfinished. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, most of the dialogue is about like her being on a secret mission, but all she is very sad. Um, does not feel very jellical to me. Yeah, this might be another need more information, to be honest. Yeah. I think I met her once, so yeah. I don't know if I could say anything. And her quest line just got finished, and I'm very interested in where that goes at this point. Uh, Tanith, the the uh, leader of the Volcano Manor in the chair. Oh man, yeah, extremely jellical. Yes, yeah, absolutely. especially like having a crucible night on retainer is like yeah, pretty <laughs> tight. Um, in terms of her sign, I feel like I want to say Sagittarius. I think there's a sort of goal oriented. I like fire sign for the volcano manor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she has the showiness of a Leo or an Aries, but I think she's like equally goal driven. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to give, I'm going to give Tanith Sagittarius dung eater. <laughs> I unfortunately don't know enough about dung eater still. Yeah. I, I hate to say it and I don't know if this is true, but I need more information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I never, I never met him in actuality. I only met him when he was sitting sadly in, in the round table hold. Me too. Um, yeah. I've learned a little bit about dung eater. For example, those spores that are all over his body are actually horns that have been cut off. Oh, wow. Which is very interesting. But, uh, I, I think it'd be pretty easy to just jump out on a limb and say that he's jellical, but I don't know for sure. Also, how much am I conflating him with uh, the Dung Defender in Hollow Knight, who is extremely jellical, you know? Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Here's the penultimate one. And again, these are just the starred ones, because, you know, there's a lot of characters here. <laughs> uh, the next one is Gold Mask. Gold Mask. Uh, need more information. I mean, prob- yeah, probably Jellicle, given the name, given the vibe. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I never met Gold Mask. Uh, and best for last, Blyde. Is Blyde Jellicle? The thing is, he's a dog man, so maybe he might be like the opposite. He's not <laughs> jellical, yeah. <laughs> I think he definitely is something, but I don't think he's jellical. Uh, and I would say Blyde is a Leo. I think he has the similar kind of showy, uh, check me in the spotlight with my cool outfit and sword of Alexander. Mm. Kind of your rival, but also very loyal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that's it. <laughs> I, I, there are a couple that we could speed through yeah go for it yeah Renala. you got any more 
Renala, uh, oh man, Renala, I would say is Jellicle for wild, sure. I mean, she's all Jellicle. about rebirth. Yes, yeah. In terms of her sign, I would also say Pisces. There's that cosmic connection, similar to Ron. I think she's Ronnie's mother, actually. Uh, yes, she is. So definitely, definitely water sign. But I'm not getting Scorpio or Cancer vibes. So mm-hmm. actually, maybe Cancer because there's like a strong maternal energy happening with like everything in her story <laughs> so i want to say cancer and very jellicle for sure mm. um another one that i'll just say is jellicle right uh, off the bat is the finger reader i don't know if you met the finger reader uh she's like, a couple yeah or, or, yeah. Or the, yeah i don't know if it's all the same person but uh, oh, she's all I over see. the place uh yeah if, if it is the same person also celibus is like yeah extremely jellicle but also real piece of shit I feel like he's Vare if Vare wasn't successful, you know, like <laughs> he's Vare, but yeah. like envy because you meet everyone else in Ronnie's ensemble and they're all like pumped you're there except for Celibus. Yeah, he's like, right. Why don't you give a potion to someone? I don't care who. <laughs> cool. Cool. That was fun. Thank you for those questions. Uh, I mean, if we if we did the whole list, we would be here for another two hours. So I, I, think, I think we've I, that for me, that was an opportunity for us to explore more of the NPCs because there's so many good ones. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. And I think there's one more question that might be good just to close out with. Let me pull it up here. OK, let's see. Uh, Chase Albi on Twitter. If you had to make a prediction, what is going to be the next video game series to pick up? On the Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring, open world design philosophy. Whoa. Um, I kind of hate to say it a little bit, but I, I am going to be very curious to see if Ubisoft picks this up. Interesting. Because they very much got in on like the open world icons energy uh, yeah. and like made that their like house style, even though everyone else was doing it. So like, what are you really? Um and I would be very curious to see if they try and adapt with the times. They have a little bit already. I think where Assassin's Creed is is going and where it's at at the moment with uh, Origins, Odyssey, and now Valhalla, um, they're getting closer to a thing that is interesting. I don't think it's great, but I think it's good. Od- Odyssey is very much the standout of those three to me. Um, yeah just because the setting is amazing uh, and, and, and the protagonist is fucking unbelievable. Um, but specifically this idea that when you load the game, there are two versions of it that you can play. One of them is like classic Assassin's Creed style. And the other one is like, I think it might be called exploration mode where like you literally need to talk to people to understand where to go next, I think is, is getting closer to that. And I, I wonder if there's going to be a point where they, I, I remember at one point they were like, we've been releasing an Assassin's Creed game every year for like, fuck it, since 2007 or something. And at a certain point, they're like, we're going to take one year off and figure it out. Uh, and yeah. that was uh, wildly helpful for them. And I, I would be curious to see if that happens next. That having been said, I know the rumor is that they're making like a games of service like Destiny, but Assassin's Creed apparently so probably not uh but i'd be curious to see if ubisoft like tries to shift their whole house style to be more like that eventually yeah i wonder i mean i guess the it's hard to know like who will but i would love to see bethesda incorporate some of this design with whatever the next elder scrolls is i feel like the next elder scrolls is so far off that i wonder if we will see an effect there man you know starfield though i think has the potential here's the thing about starfield that i find very interesting and the reason why I'm I think it might end up being like a really, really huge game for us in particular yeah. is very infrequently 
does Bethesda talk this much about a game this far out? Usually, yeah, their MO over the past like five, maybe plus years has been don't even talk about a game until it's going to come out in like two months. Starfield, they announced it too early, and I think that was kind of like a shift for them. Uh, Elder Scrolls Six was kind of a similar situation. Some people like speculate that they were like trying to get bought, you know, so they announced all the stuff they were working on very mm. publicly. Uh, like Elder Scrolls Six is like still in pre-production. Like we're not going to see that for forever, as you were just saying. Yeah. But Starfield, that having been said, is coming out at the end of this year. It's 2022 as we're recording this. It's going to come out at the end of this year, and they have been bombarding their social with clips and videos and tidbits of information, like not showing any gameplay, but like talking a lot about how big and important this game is, which makes me think that they really know that they have something good on their hands. Like, I think that this marketing campaign for this company specifically says a lot to me about how confident they are about what Starfield is and how big it's going to be when it drops. And it makes me wonder how close it is to like this vibe. Yeah. I mean, cause the reason I think of them, I I know Bethesda's kind of lost their way with the last couple of games, but Skyrim's still, even though the UI uh, is very direct and there's, you know, a lot of icons on the map, like once you uncover places and there's a lot of arrows telling you where to go and people saying, Hey, you're the dragonborn, help me out. Um, (laughs) It still has that openness to discovery that I think it's the reason people keep going back to it, including you and I like uh, the, the finding an item that, that initiates a Daedric Prince's quest line or like just the, sheer number of variables in that game where like the fact that it's kind of always operating on its own rhythm and like you can walk down a road and see something new each time Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i think that there is actually a lot in skyrim that is kind of more focused on an elden ring but i think that like there's clearly similar minds like wanting to bring certain things to life like you said it's it's D, it's games like the promise of that experience is so present in elden ring and a similar promise is being sought after in skyrim and i just hope that whatever comes next is more in line with that and less like you know uh this game is the size of wisconsin and there are (laughs) many things to do right okay yeah Yeah. um and that's it for questions i just another another huge thanks to everyone for sending them in uh that was so much fun to do um i feel like my brain and spirit were like trained physically by trying to figure out star signs like i'm trying to <laughs> ground myself and be like, okay i don't need to always think like that i can actually just relax and eat dinner um <laughs> but uh i mean just to kind of wrap it all up i i'm i think this is a game that we will talk about for a very long time yeah i think that it's a game we might even bring to the show again like as we get further a new game plus i could see it yeah. it's it's this is one of the more daunting episodes to create because i think there's just so much to say that you and I physically can't do in one sitting. Yeah. I mean, we, we've really only touched the surface and it's been over two hours. Um, but I'm very grateful to have an opportunity to kind of share the experience I had with this game with you and with everyone listening. I think it's a really wonderful thing that so many people are enjoying it and having fun in that sharing aspect being like, what happened when you went here? What did you find? How did you get to this place? Did you go down this path or this path? Like simple stuff like that is so exciting. And it does feel so much like a, a collective experience, which is really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I think I've mentioned this on the show uh, at some point or another, but the the 2022 energy that I wanted to bring to the bonus episodes is uh, only talk about games that people have said are maybe the best game of all time. Um, <laughs> and it was yeah. it was very funny to have Elden Ring come out and immediately the people who reviewed it were like, this might be the best game of all time. It's like, well, maybe that's on the list then, maybe you know, and it. like slowly yeah. figure out that we should do a bonus episode about it. Um, yeah. you know, who knows if that'll be the plan for the rest of 2022, but that's, that's been, uh, how I've been trying to, to go about it so far. I mean, it's uh, been fun when we're it's, talking about been it. good games. Yeah. We've been, we've been playing some great stuff. I'm excited for undertale next month. It'll be fun. Oh, me too. Um, it's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, Elden Ring is unbelievable. Um, I, I almost, it's like almost silly to sit here and talk about it for this long. Cause like, again, as you were just saying, like we, we, we can only scratch the surface and I feel like I'm going to come back to this game in like two more years and like have a completely new understanding of how it works and like what's going on from a lore perspective. And like, there's just so much left to uncover that I'm excited about. So, uh, stay tuned, dear listener. Absolutely. We'll probably talk about it again at some point. I guess with that, should we wrap up? I think we should wrap up. Yeah. Um, huge thanks to everyone listening. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show, whether that's just by listening or backing the Patreon. A huge thanks to our patrons as well for allowing these bonuses to exist. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. And as you may already know, into the cast.online is our hub for everything. Uh, links to YouTube and Twitch, places to listen to the show, all that good stuff. Um, this honestly sincere thanks across the board <laughs> we've been recording back to back all day and it's kind of a testament to how much you and i enjoy making this show that we can record the full day and still be wanting to talk about more yeah. so uh, <laughs> i'm just very grateful to have this outlet with you yeah yeah likewise um man uh i i think i mentioned this on a recent episode i don't know the order in which they're going to come out but uh march 2022 was our biggest month ever pretty wild uh we we tend to not care that much about the numbers but when they're like that in our face like that it's like you yeah, can't not you can't not yeah. look at it so just like thank you so 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 much to everybody who's listening to the show everybody's backing the show on patreon and allowing these bonus episodes to happen um and allowing us to grow and change and do more exciting things um uh, in the future uh because uh, we got plans baby we have plans put these foolish ambitions to rest Brendan. yeah well, I, I i'm not going to i am <laughs> i'm not going to put these foolish ambitions <laughs> nice to rest. try I market i would even argue that my ambitions are not foolish steven yeah i did feel like like i i i retorted that command from market when i beat the game i was like i will only put these to rest once i've done it and i did it yeah Thank you. yeah these are just ambitions, Margaret. Uh, <laughs> anyway, into the cast out online. So it's our links to everything. Uh, yep. you, you probably know that already, but in case you don't, that's where we are. Exactly. Find I wish us. I could leave a note that just says into the cast out online. You know, that'd be sick. <laughs> that would be terrible if you could just plug stuff. Put a link. Like, comment, subscribe. Therefore, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> a link that's like sickest market cheese yeah <laughs> i beat elder beast and i didn't take any gaming yeah <laughs> ew anyway uh <laughs> goodbye <laughs> hey, my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet brendan bigley i'm stephen hilger you find me at stephen hilger have a wonderful day do not put your foolish ambitions to rest no your dreams and aspirations go for it keep them up the age of stars is upon us yeah good night goodbye
PWG, the worst garbage, the online.